Welcome to the Heart Guide Media Podcast. I am your host, Jesse HS, and today is a very, very anticipated episode uh, on my favorite band of all time and my guest's favorite band of all time, uh, the Ramones. Arguably, unarguably, that's what I meant to say, unarguably, the greatest, in my eyes, the greatest rock and roll band that's ever lived. Not just the forefathers, the godfathers of punk rock. The greatest rock and roll band that wrote some of the greatest rock and roll songs of all time. Today, my guest is my good old friend, Lou Smith. Lou, what's going on? Hey, man. Um, you know, it's, uh, again, like you said, I, I don't think, uh, it's not that we wouldn't be here because of these guys if, or if we hadn't heard these guys, but... You know, it, it's every time I re-listen to them, it's like it's not that I'm hearing something new, um, but I think the more that I learn about them, uh, being obsessed with them since fucking like you know going into high school, it's like you know again I'm learning new shit about these guys. It's it's never ending. I feel like every time we talk, we're we're talking about something weird or new we found out that we didn't know prior. Well, and, and even before we started recording, it's like, how many times did you catch us, like, veering in that direction and one of us would be like, wait, wait, wait hold on a second, we gotta fucking record yeah. this, like, but yeah, dude, it's it's never-ending, it's a fucking journey, dude. It's, and it's, it's crazy to think that, I mean, you could probably talk, like, you know, bands that have had longer careers, The Who, uh, The Stones, things like that, and obviously those bands are very historic and storied, and they have a lot of, like, crazy stories about them, as with, like, bands like Zeppelin and things like that, but none of those bands, all those bands, as great as those bands are, they always felt a little corporate. They always felt a little put together by the by the labels, whereas the Ramones, they stayed together through thick and thin, they fucking hated each other like brothers, and they just they resonated more as and still to this day when i think about them being in a band i don't think band when i think ramones i think gang oh yeah dude and and even more than that it's i don't want to say it's a lifestyle because then it almost makes it seem like it's a fucking cult but it's a fucking cult and i'm super amped about being part of that fucking cult you know the the story lives on the fucking you know basically their lore and like it's you know, you fucking hit the hammer or, or hit the nail on the head there with with saying that like those bands, it's like they seemed a little corporate. They seemed I don't even want to say it was a little forced because each one of those bands in their own right, it's like, yeah, they were talented. Um, there was a lot of musicianship that kind of like came from those groups. Um, but when you think about a band like the Ramones, it's like 
I don't want to say they didn't really have anybody to answer to other than themselves, but that was kind of the way it was, with some exceptions on certain albums, which we'll get into. Um, but for the most part, it was them fucking writing, you know, producing, creating music, whatever. Um, and, and that's what it was fucking about, you know? And obviously they had a few different sounds. Today, we're covering, you know, the formation, 74, to uh, where I think was the last album before the... Not the first stylistic change, per se, but, like, the major stylistic change and the major, like, shift. Well, it always remained the Ramones. No matter what Ramones song you listen to, there's un- it's undeniable that it's the Ramones. It's And more than anything... Despite any movement of baser, bass basers, that's a great one actually. <laughs> <Basis>. <laughs> Drummers or bassists, um, the focal points obviously Johnny and Joey, and two of the most opposite people on planet Earth at one time. You know, John, super right, conservative, military brat, and then you have Joey, like severe product of the 60s bleeding heart bleeding heart and so but we're gonna focus on from like 74 to 83 so 74 and the self and self-titled in 76 to 83 so this sound developed so such a it was such a base point for what music would become going into the 80s, but actually, and absolutely the end of the 70s when you had bands like The Clash, you know, form and blow up, you know, in the early 80s. And I think they kind of, I mean, it's, it's so hard to think about where it all started, but obviously something i never really knew before is they almost in later interviews they referred to dd dd really being the the pusher to get the band going so you know they start in forest hills john was uh, coming from uh, a military family and they were all living like in the same area and john was in uh bands in the early 60s was it early or late 60s late 60s and then uh so joey original drummer Mm -hmm. so but that album well it's so it's so hard to because there was i feel like there was so much that happened from 74 to april of 76 when that album came out and i I guess i only want to scratch the surface on that because there's so much to talk to talk about with just like uh with just their you know the first few albums um but that debut like okay so tommy was gonna manage decided no i'll just play drums because joey for whatever reason couldn't handle it was he gonna i can't now i can't remember was joey gonna sing and play drums who was the original who did they want originally to sing you know i want to say i I could be wrong about this i want to say the original singer was designate was going to be designated as dd Oh, it was, and Dee couldn't play. Yes, and Dee play and sing and at the same time. Dee couldn't play and sing at the same time. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Yes, you're right. Um, but you know, it's you're, dude. There is so much that happened, and it's you know, getting in. You could dive even further, and we could take this even further and get into you know them kind of exploring the scene even before it happened. You know, the whole CBGBs thing and yeah. some of the other music that was going on at the same time, but. You know, again, that would just extend this podcast like even more. So it's it's good we're gonna jump right in and go from that self title. But it's definitely worth mentioning that like 
you know, these bands that were coming out at the same time. You hear it all the time. You hear it. They would drill Ramones constantly in interviews like, how do you feel about these groups that you played with, you know, at CBGB's? You shared a bill with, um, you know, they're, they're being played on the radio. And, of course, they're referring to fucking Talking Heads. They're referring to, like, Blondie and stuff. Yeah. And and I re- one thing I really like, just as an aside, I like that they never outright were, like, pissy about it. They said, it's cool. They're doing their own thing. They're making money. And in w- one of these interviews I heard, like, Joey was talking, like, there's room enough for all of us to play music. They just kind of decided to do that. Blondie decided to do like the disco thing. Talking Heads were doing, I don't know what the fuck they were doing. They were and David Byrne was doing a lot of fucking shit and it was awesome. It was weird art school shit and it was great. But it, it was cool, you know, to to see these guys not be better, even though they might have been in their own right. But um, that's a whole other fucking conversation too. So... You know, the original lineup, and this is something I kind of got to, I'm going to talk about right now, too, is like how iconic the presidential seal is. Mm-hmm. You know, Johnny, Joey, Dee Dee, Tommy. And despite having Marky being the, the, the most like a curd drummer on all the albums and touring wise, uh, Dee Dee, or Dee Dee, uh, Tommy still remains ever present on all the merchandise but i think it's because of that sound that was created with that and he definitely tommy ramone definitely 100 percent created a drum style for all those punk bands because before that even though i mean you could say the only band i, w- I would say that might have precursed the ramones in the pu- real punk rock movement movement and, and a lot of people would think the stooges now the stooges all punk rock, don't get me wrong, Iggy cutting his chest, but you know, one band I would say that had that kind of similar drum style were very erratic and brought that energy, MC5. No, I, was, I, was, I knew exactly what you were going to say before you said it, and that's especially their live shit. You hear like their live cuts and stuff. And Those guys were so fucking kick out the jams, motherfucker. And then that is a that song still today. Today is a punch to the fucking face. Oh, dude, every time. And it's funny because like even being at like some of these like bar shows that like I've been to, and like they'll play that while bands are setting up. Every time I fucking hear that song, it, whatever it it it's the most played song from their fucking discography. Yeah, by but far. but still, it's like it's still a fucking great song. And you're right, it's a fucking kick to the goddamn chest. And it's John, it's Johnny B. Good. Yeah, you know what I mean. Exactly. And and it's great that you mentioned that drum style because this is something that I learned too. It's like I saw it was like pretty much. I I took some notes, dude. Tommy was credited all the way through until fucking end of the century. Yes, like. As being part of that production team, and I thought that was so fucking cool because, like, I know you can. See- well, he helped that in the eighties too, uh, yes. producing, and, and he did did seem like they still kept him on board for several different things, whether it was just referring to him at points or not. I just saw. I thought that was so cool that like they they had him jump on board, like not only play drums and establish that sound, but then go through to help fucking solidify that sound through these albums by taking part in being a producer that was that, that's awesome i think that's so cool and i think uh, you know I've, I've seen interviews and i'm sure you have where when they uh they kind of sh- well, they'll either talk to like joey or they'll talk with johnny and they'll say oh so you're you know you started the ramones and both of them both defer to Didi. They say, nah, it was kind of like Didi's thing. He kind of is the one that pushed it, like, to make it, like, kind of like a serious band. And I think that was due to, like, Didi obviously being the 
the main songwriter throughout the entire career, even after, I mean, even though there were songs that CJ helped on, there were songs that, you know, Joey wrote or whatever, Dee Dee, even after he left, you know, still remained such a prominent songwriter in the, you know, the Ramones team. One thing that really blew me away too is, especially in the earlier years, you know, the post the release of the self-titled um but as you got closer to the 80s and even a couple times like in the early 80s mind you i'm saying the early 80s you catch Didi in these interviews and he's he's soft-spoken and he's pretty fucking eloquent he says some pretty like great shit and like you know oftentimes he gets cast in this kind of like he's he's a goofball or whatever he's kind of like the 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 lesser uh, IQ even in even in uh, rock and roll high school where they kind of like he's just like kind of like gulping and giving weird looks <laughs> <laughs> and like and, and and I just thought it's so funny especially in the early years like it, within the first couple albums the first few albums it's like you hear him on some of these interviews and he's so soft spoken he looks he doesn't look fucking like a zombie yet but like he he, he has some good shit to say and and it's funny you know I can't remember if it was end of the century that um that uh documentary but like i think at one point they mentioned that like it all the time in interviews it was john steering he was leading the interviews and every once in a while like you know joey would pop in and stuff but like those times that you do hear dd talk and, and again this is pre like too tough to die you know but in those earlier years he, he has a lot of really great stuff to say and, and he's together about it you know that was before you know he kind of dived into you know the darkness of the 80s and uh but it was that self-titled release celebrated its 40th year 40th year uh you know the album's obviously older than you and I by uh, a a decade and some uh but it's so funny and you know what's funny too is you know when okay so we'll we'll dive into this right now uh, before we kind of, uh, the, the, well, the, the self-titled is such a landmark, mm. not only for punk rock, but just for the music scene in general. I think you saw a lot of production in the seventies with like, uh, a lot of like Fleetwood Mac. You saw like, you know, this over the top rock and roll superstardom with Zeppelin and all this stuff. And the Ramones brought it back to the basics and that is due to, I think, Johnny being a huge Chuck Berry fan. Like, bringing that rock and roll. Because it's punk rock, but it's rock and roll. It's rock and roll. And, like, even listening to it, whether it's in your car um, or listening to it on headphones and stuff, um, or you're listening to vinyl, it's, like, it's great because it's literally left channel, right channel, guitar, bass, drums. It's so simplified. But each one of those songs on the self-titled record, it's just, like, one after the other, one after the other, and it sounds fucking great, and it's consistent throughout the whole thing. It's like, yeah, you do have, you know, you have I Want to Be Your Boyfriend, you have some slower... and Some more downbeat. Some downbeat stuff, but for the most part, it's one after the other, and it's all great, and like like you're saying, that that simplified sound, it it is pure fucking rock and roll. It's a rock and roll record. Yes, no doubt, it established the sound punk rock but like it's a fucking rock and roll record and you know i think it set a precedent for a rock and roll or a punk rock uh album uh kind of like what the criteria was for it 14 songs 29 minutes four seconds so think about how crazy that is 
and so many bands that have followed that format, like going forward to that, whether it be, you know, you talk Rancid, you talk No Effects, uh, maximum amount, amount of songs and minimal amount of time. Oh, yeah. And and again, you know, I, I think I don't know if that was intentional on the part of the songwriting, whether it was Dee Dee, whether it was Joey. I, I don't know if that was intentional or if they just stumbled across it and then kind of stuck with that formula. I think it might have even been you could say it's so hard because obviously we weren't fucking there. Um, but I, it might even revert back to to Johnny's uh, love for that classic rock and roll. You look at all those classic rock and roll songs. You look at Jerry Lee Lewis songs. You look at Chuck Berry songs. You look at Elvis songs. What are they? Two minutes. You know what I mean? It was, there wasn't the days of three and a half, four minute songs weren't really, you know, unless you're Zeppelin, you know what I mean? And I think that might revert back to Johnny's love for that, you know, the the beginnings of rock and roll. Oh, yeah, that, that roots rock and roll stuff. Radio friendly, it can be on and done in two minutes, um, and, and that's great. And, and one thing too that I noticed as they continued along their career, it's like they always stuck with that formula. You know, it was never there was never seven fucking minute songs or whatever, and that's what was great about them. But I definitely think, you know, going through that first album, it's like what what I really enjoy about it is. It blends together, but each song can stand out on its own. And, absolutely, and, absolutely. And it's funny. I, I've seen a couple like Ramones cover bands, or you know, going to these, you know, going to these bars where they feature somebody, a group plays a, a set, and nine times out of ten, they're fucking playing songs off the first album in the second, and then you know, obviously the third or whatever. But for the most part, it's pretty much condensed. They play a lot of shit off that first album. Yeah, definitely. Now, I guess. What would okay? So, what's your favorite song off self-titled? All right, so it, it's tough. I I really like Commando a lot. That might be one of my favorite songs. But one song, the first time I heard it, I wasn't super crazy about it. But the more that I listened to it, I got it. Um, Today or Love Tomorrow, the world. When again, first hearing it, I was like, "What the fuck is this?" They switch over like. It switches on a fucking dime halfway through the song, and then they repeat it. it but the more I listen to it, I fucking love it. Um, and, and and also, uh, I, I love Havana Affair. But but to answer the question, Commando is probably my favorite fucking song on that album. I I go back and forth of what my favorite song is. I remember distinctly hearing uh, "Beat on the Brat" for the first time, and even being like 12 years old when I heard that and I bought like the Ramones anthology which we're going to talk about in a second what your first Ramones purchase was but it was the Hey Hold Let's Go Ramones anthology that came out in 99 so everything it was the first time I heard it I knew exactly what it was talking about and it was you know it was beating on a fucking like uh, and Joey Joey is credited as a writer on that so I think it was him just I don't know if because obviously Joey was uh it wasn't your average looking character. He was uh you know, he was tall. He was it almost looked like he had that male fram disease. What the fuck's it called? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, he's just gangly fucking just uh, didn't look like uh he's fucking malnourished. Yeah, like. seriously. That's why they were giving him wheat germ in fucking rock and roll high school. <laughs> um but anyway, like I just loved like beat on like, you know, the fucking 
rit- ritzy upper class kids that were probably picking on him. He wanted to fucking beat on the brat with a baseball bat. And is there any better? That's po- poetry right there. Beat on the brat with a baseball bat. And obviously that that bat occurs in every. Maybe it's uh, just John's love for the Yankees, but uh, the bat always occurs in the seal, and I fucking love that. Dude, I I literally just realized this is the first time that I fucked up on this podcast. All right, so Commando is not on their self-titled. I literally just like it occurred to me like as you were talking, after you were talking, like you went into the beat on the breath thing. I'm like, God fucking damn it! It's not in that fucking album. <laughs> it's not in that fucking album. So yes, it, it it's got to be their Havana Fair. Um, I don't want to go down in the basements. Another one that like definitely grew on me. Chainsaw. Same, same here. That one grew on me. Chainsaw. I loved it. From the first time I fucking heard it. Is I guess because I, I would I just went on a tangent about Beat on the Brat. I think that's not my favorite. It's Fifth, not. I mean we could it'll fucking change in an hour, know, so it I doesn't know, matter. But fifty third and third. I love the story behind it, how fucked up that is, because obviously Dee Dee was turning tricks for money or whatever. And then, you know, I just love that fucking like imagery. I mean, I'm not like no, I'm, I'm not fucking, I know what you're saying. My fucking jeans are getting tight because of it, but I fucking I love that like then I took out my razor blade, then I did what God forbade, like never how, never being picked, writing a song, bitching about never being picked, and then you do get picked and then you gotta fucking kill the guy afterwards yeah. and be like, I'm a fucking man, like that's fucking awesome. It's so it's, ironic. And think about how intelligent that songwriting truly is. Like I mean, they could just be like, oh, Dee Dee was fucked up, and he wrote that. Like, that's not, like, poetry. Dee Dee 100% is a poet. Oh, yeah. And and like I said, you know, again, you, you know, when you see him portrayed as kind of this goon, it's like, I don't think anybody, obviously, like, you know, Big Ramones fans, it's like, they will tell you. It's like, you know, obviously, he was a primary songwriter throughout the majority of their career, but... Again, you see him in interviews. He is a fucking poet, and he does have great things to fucking say. And I don't know. I don't want to say that, like, John kind of tried to steer things away from that because in the end it's like, yeah, Dee Dee was a junkie, um, and he probably couldn't be trusted with a microphone. Obviously, you see him later on, and he's just totally fucking – he's off the rails and stuff. But early on, again, he, he's fucking soft-spoken. He does have some really great things to say. He's a, you're right. He's a fucking poet. Well, that's something that I loved about the Ramones anthology. I don't know if you ever got your hands on that at any point. Um, anthology, I don't believe that I got their anthology. Um, I got, I ended up picking up like. What was the first Ramones release that you got? I actually, so in high school, um, it was like going into like ninth. So it was that summer mm-hmm. or whatever. I picked out um, Less Than Jake's Losing Streak. I got Smith's Meet His Murder. And I picked out Pleasant Dreams. That was my that's first. a that's a hell of a fucking lineup right ridiculous. there. It's fucking ridiculous. I was just like, you know, that's what I always not to interrupt you, but to I, that's what I kind of always appreciated about you and the fact that I think we hit it off so well musically is that we were always well rounded. We appreciate classic rock. We love classic rock, but at the same time, you, we could listen to the Ramones. Uh, you know, the KKK took my baby away, but then you could throw on the, you know, Rush Home Ruffians and fucking just jam out and love the fucking Smiths as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and again, it's funny because, you know, we've talked about this before. It's like, you know, we've had so many conversations just about music in general, but to be able to finally hone in on the Ramones, it's like, 
again, we could have this same conversation about multiple other bands and still, again, jump from topic to topic. And it's like, we're still knowledgeable on it. And that's great because it shows that we're not just pigeonholed into like one genre which like- which i think think happens and even with punk in general which which always confused me when people are like oh i only listen to fucking older punk like well you realize that like you yeah you revere the first three uh ramones records but do you realize that you shit talk like country or like early rock and roll you're like fuck that shit but there would be none of it or there would be no Ramones if it wasn't for a Chuck Berry, wasn't for an Elvis Presley, it wasn't for the Beach Boys, you know what I mean? Because all that, that's what I loved about them, especially in those early records, is all that is so evident as the influence. You know, Joey, obviously the huge, like, radio head, the pop head, um, loving those that 60s style of music. And John, I think, liking that, that early rock and roll stuff. And then Joey loving... All the fucking, like, you know, temptations, like, you know, all that shit. And I love that Phil Spector brought that out of them even more so. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, they, they're playing some shows. The album comes out in April. Wait, wait. So what – so I said – so my first my first purchase oh, yeah, was yeah. Pleasant Dreams, yeah. which – Oh, sorry, sorry. It's kind of, when, when I first got it, um, the reason I picked it out is, A, it's like I heard KKK took my baby away. So, Great fucking song. So I was already kind of familiarized a little bit with it, but um, at at Barnes and Noble at the time they had like these little scanners where you could you could sample like thirty seconds of a track and you could scroll through the whole thing. So like I went through and I picked out a, a couple of the Ramones records and like um, I remember hearing um, like All's Quiet on the Eastern Front, Nine to Five, shit like that, and I was like, holy fuck! I was like, this is pretty fucking cool, like. It was there was production there, and there was it was more instruments just than like guitar, drums, bass. But at the same time, it was like this is fucking rocking, dude. Like as lame as it is to say, like ah, this is fucking rock and roll. But it was like this is awesome, and that that was my introduction. What about yourself? What was your first purchase? The first, I, I mean, well, we kind of talked about. Well, actually, not to. We'll talk about. I'll talk about my first purchase, but then I want to actually hear. Was that the first time you actually heard the Ramones? It, it was not. The first time I heard the Ramones, um, TK99, they did um, – they had they had two things that I had heard either references to or I had heard Ramones on. And they did a special, King Biscuit Flower Hour, where they would play like a live record. And there was references to Ramones and then I ended up buying NYC78 or something, which was a King Biscuit Flower Hour recording of the Ramones. Um but the first time I heard Ramones was on – it was Little Steven's Underground Garage. You know, hey, Little Steven. You know, like that fucking weirdo. But it, it was a late night show. Um, TK would put it on from like whatever, 9 to 11 or something when like, you know, five people are listening, you know, working their like fifth shift jobs and stuff. But um, it coincidentally enough, it was fucking Beat on the Brat that I heard. And I don't know what – I don't know where he was going with it, what the fucking segue was, but he played that. And and he had like a little aside about, um, you know, these guys being kind of ignored and, you know, on the radio. And he had his own little like, yeah, gambling, you know, whatever. But that that was a first. He sounded like Bob Dylan. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking just completely. (laughs) Sweathered old man just out of it. But but no, that, that was the first time it was like. It was like late middle school, somewhere around there. 
but that was the first time consciously knowing who I were. was listening yeah, to the, the Ramones. Ramones. Exactly. And we kind of talked about what my first one was. Obviously, watching Pet Cemetery and being like, holy fuck, there's a fucking song about this movie? This is fucking great. And obviously, waiting to the end of the credits because I was smarter than your average idiot. Uh, to fucking be like, oh, let's see what the song is. Oh, it's fucking, oh, of course it's called Pet Cemetery. Uh, <laughs> it's fucking by the Ramones. The fucking, I, I think I almost, I, I want to say I thought their name was something else when I was super young. Like, maybe I thought they were the Ram Ones or something. <laughs> um, but either way, as soon as I found that out, like, I hunted for years. Because when you're fucking, like, six or seven, you hear a song you like. And they, I've never heard a Ramon song on the radio ever. Me personally, I've never heard. But I always listen to, like, whatever was up here, like, 95X and all that shit. I'd never heard a Ramon song played on the radio. I never have. But, um... Well, mind you, that, that like, Little Steven's Underground Garage shit, A, it's syndicated. Yeah. And B, it's like they probably recorded it like months before they yeah, sent yeah. it to the asshole in the shipping <laughs> fucking room or whatever. The work in the front desk, a yeah. fucking DK99, and pops in the goddamn CD. But, um. So that was my, uh. So that was the first time I heard him, obviously. And then I remember hearing him, like, and not really connecting it right away, but then, like, hearing him in, like, Airheads. We Want the Airwaves was in Airheads. And, and then you watch movies. I remember seeing a movie called Carpool with Tom Arnold. Have you ever seen that one? I have not. Funny comedy from the mid-90s where Tom Arnold plays, like, this guy that kidnaps, uh, I can't think of the actor's name, David Palmer. Uh, he was in, like, a lot of random stuff. And I'm trying to think what the fuck. Do you ever seen Out of the Creeps? have not. Oh, fuck. Well, anyway, he's in... I'm trying to think... I'm blanking on whatever he's been in. Anyway, Tom Arnold, like, kidnaps, like, I like this... I Palmer, I think of the singer. No. Uh, what is his name? R- Robert Palmier or something like that. Anyway, he's an actor. So, Tom Arnold, like, kidnaps, like, this, like, dad in, like, the carpool of kids that he's bringing... His kids and a couple other kids. And they're playing I Want to Be Sedated in it. And I was just like, oh, fuck, that's that fucking band. <laughs> uh, anyway, I digress about Tom Arnold. Um, so... <laughs> so but the first i i remember being like and and i'm not embarrassed to say this but i didn't get a cd player until the year 2000 so i didn't have i was living on cassettes i was buying cassettes i was buying blink 182 cassettes i was still buying like guns and roses cassettes because i didn't have a cd player and i got made fun of because they're like but my old man's like well, the fucking cassette's five ninety nine. The CD's twenty. Which one do you think I'm buying for you? <laughs> so obviously, obviously, you can't really find. You're not really gonna find uh, any kind of Ramones cassettes in phase in fucking in nineteen fucking ninety eight. Dude, I'm glad that you mentioned fucking phase, dude, because I lived on fucking three eleven South Peterborough Street, which was right down from fucking where phase and fucking Foodland was. Food fucking Yo, land. Foodland. Dude, I, it's funny you mentioned face because I ended up... It's a shame we went to different schools. I know, dude. I fucking know. That's funny as fuck, <laughs> the fucking phase. Call out, dude. Drop the fucking phase, Bob. Awesome. <laughs> I love it, dude. So, obviously, like, you couldn't go to the fucking get record that was 15 years old at fucking uh, at phase on cassette. So, I would just buy those. But then I remember when I got a CD player... 
and going to the mall, I, obviously we grew up in Kansas City, it's like, can't start a Chittenango area, so it's like 25 minutes outside of the city. So before I started going to shows, like maybe like two years after this or whatever, it's like 2000. I get a fucking CD player. I traded fucking Doug Munn, like fucking <laughs> Doug Munn, like fucking like seven cassettes for one portable CD player. I was like, yes. Fucking score, dude. <laughs> Which now I regret because it was like a Pantera cassette, and like hey, he probably fucking robbed you. Oh yeah, <laughs> I got like some weird fucking Panavision or Panasonic fucking. It wasn't even. It was like a GPX fucking like Walmart special. Actually, it might have been from Phase. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I remember getting it, and I fucking begged. Uh, I begged Satch to bring me to fucking, like, you got to bring me to the mall. I got to get to, like, a CD store so I could see if I could find, like, some CDs. I was excited to buy fucking CDs because I finally came around fucking all these years later to get a fucking compact disc. So I ended up going to Phase, which is now Eckerd's, and I picked up, like, a couple CDs there. But there was nothing. I was like, I need a fucking Ramon CD because I was hearing it in all these fucking movies now. And they were in, like, Detroit Rock City, uh, which was a movie that I, like, picked up, had picked up around that time. And they were, like, uh, I think uh, I think Cretan Hop was in there. And I think Blitzkrieg Bop was in there. Maybe it was Cretan. Yeah, it was Cretan Hop was definitely in there. Anyway, so... I was just like, I need a fucking Ramones CD. I love the songs, but I can't fucking... I'd listen to them when I went in, like, the fucking... In the media center and fucking got on the fucking thing. They're like, what the fuck's this kid doing? <laughs> fucking just, like, listen to, like, um, two minutes of a song and then fucking running out of here. Anyway. Where did, so, so what, what, where did you go? Did you go to Shopping Town? Did you go to fucking Media Play? FYE. Oh, you went to FYE! This was... All right, so this was Great Northern Mall. Oh, shit. So you went the opposite direction. Yes. Okay. This was, like, the first time... Uh, it, it wasn't FYE. Yeah, it was FYE. It was the first. I, I'd never even heard of an FYE before. It was Great Northern Mall because I couldn't convince him. And my uncle was telling me all about going to, um, which, what was the what one? Media in, Play? Media Play. He was t- and I love Media Play. So, wait, wait, so, your dad, so your dad drove the opposite direction from where you guys live because you're closer to shopping. Yes. Time. You're like fucking 20 minutes closer to shopping. He's like, time. I'm not fucking driving to the city. We're fucking going 31 all the way to Great Northern. <laughs> Oh my god! So just because it was a straight shot, it was fucking. Of course, just because it was a straight fucking shot. <laughs> it was twenty-two miles longer, but yeah, he made it. He, anyway, so that's, I fucking dude. That's fucking. That's funny as shit. So I, <laughs> I had to go to Fye. I walk in there and I immediately go to the arts. I was like, I gotta get something Ramones, and I found the fucking um, the anthology, the Ramones anthology. Hey ho, let's go. Is that? Is that- Three discs or two discs, and it comes with a booklet that gives like a brief biography in them. And it kind, it's a really fuck. It has cool pictures in it, and it's like hard. It's a hardcover like little book, and it's fucking. I mean, it was the perfect introduction into the Ramones. Anyway, uh, what the fuck were we talking about? What the fuck was the? Oh, oh, it was was okay. First purchase. Yes, so that was the first. That was the first purchase. And mind you, I'd heard uh, Poison Heart too, which I fucking loved, which was on Pet Cemetery too. That soundtrack. so I was like fucking like I, that's what I did. I went on there. I was like, okay, it's got Crete and Hop, it's got Pet Cemetery, it's got fucking uh, Poison Heart. I'm fucking sold. Perfect. I just wanted to make sure that there were any other CDs that had there, and I think they had like a what were the on blanket? What were the the two back to back best ofs that they had? What were the uh, fuck were those called? So there was there's there's a couple of them, but like one of them I there's so there's Ramones Mania. Which was a compilation. Yeah, that came out in 88. Right. So that, 
Did that have shit off of, uh, like, Too Tough to Die? For some reason, I think it just went to Subterranean Jungle because I believe it had psychotherapy on there. And yeah. I don't think it had any, like, later 80s shit. I could be wrong about that, but, like, okay, so that that was one. I think it did have, like, Howling at the Moon on it. Okay, yeah, okay. So it did span that far. Shit. All right. Um, it's interesting on the compilations, too, because I feel like there's a lot of compilations out there that they put out. But Mania was obviously the most popular one. But I didn't need it, and I didn't. I never visited it until, like, uh, probably recently, honestly, the last, like, ten years or so. Because Anthology was two discs, and I didn't need Mania. And plus, the Anthology had, like, the early 90s shit on it, too, and the late 80s stuff, the shit that came off Brain Drain. So I didn't really pay attention to that compilation because I had the Anthology. Right, and and it's so Mania was that was a Sire release, correct? Yes. That was, so that was put off their main label, I guess. Like, yeah, or the, for the lion's share of their career, it was like that was the first comp. But um, I, I'm trying to think of some of the other like compilations that were out there. I, I know they came out with uh, what was it uh, Tales from the Ramones or Tales of the Ramones? Yeah, there was, there was like, a loud and fast Ramones yes. one that came with the live Smash You CD, um, which is fucking that's so cool. Um, yeah, louder, faster, or something like that. Yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever it was. Which I, I found out that that one with the live CD in it that is Ramones Live '85, obviously with Richie drumming. Um, awesome. um, that was like a limited. It wasn't even, and I owned that and I sold it because I was just like, I don't need a fucking another Ramones compilation. I have that, and now I'm like stupid. I'm just like, oh, are you fucking kidding me? And now I'm not gonna pay, pay fucking forty dollars for that on eBay. No, and and that's the thing too. You know, with a lot of this stuff. Um, I think the Ramones suffer from something that, like, obviously a lot of groups suffer from, but not as many as you'd think. Ramones are one of those bands where... All the stuff, I'm sorry, all the stuff and more, volume one and two, are the, were the compilation. Okay, all right, all right. That that, that was a that was a back-to-back comps yep. you were talking about. Yep. Um, I, I think the Ramones suffer from, like, the type of thing where if you have something that's older, I don't want to say vintage, but if you have shit that's vintage and their name or their seal or logo stamped on there, not the newer shit I'm talking about, but people think that you're going to pay a shitload of money for it just because of the Ramones thing, which is not far from the truth. However, it, they do suffer from that. Original posters, shit like that. I'm not talking reprints. I'm talking original stuff. They're a massive band, but people see that, whether it's something that was they, they've held on for like since fucking you know, the early 80s or whatever. It's like, I bought this in high school. Now I'm going to try and sell for hundreds of dollars. It's yeah. Like, it's like, I, I get it, man. But at the same time, it's like, what the fuck, dude? I just want to own this piece of fucking history. Yeah. Like, so that was the first uh, first thing I bought. But that in that same day... I remember being so stoked. I was like, all right, I'm fucking ready to go. I had no uh, no money left. So my old man goes, well, you want to stop somewhere else? You want to go somewhere else? Like, uh, So I was like, oh, yeah, I guess we'll look around. Like, I'm not fucking getting anything. I got the Ramones fucking anthology. Like, I'm good to go, motherfucker. So he's like, so we walk into Hot Topic. And all right, go ahead and fucking get your fucking hate on if you fucking hate Hot Topic. Guess what? In fucking 99 and 2000, that fucking place had great shit. And you could still find some cool vinyl there. Dude, especially being in Kansas City, Chenango, it's like, we're not in fucking New York City. I'm sorry, I can't go and pick up a blank band shirt because they don't fucking play around here. Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. That, fuck me. If that makes me an asshole, whatever. But at the same time, yes. I, I echo your sentiments about Hot Topic in that, that era. Absolutely. So we walk in there, fucking Ramon Seal shirt. I was like, fuck. So luckily my dad was always kind with his money and got himself nothing and always got us everything so picked up that poster that sits behind us 
Awesome. And that shirt. So that day, I was fucking, I was fucking decked out. I was fucking fully loaded, fucking balls full of the Ramones. Fucking, I had my fucking poster, went on the fucking wall that day with duct tape because didn't have any fucking tacks. And I later had to cut the duct tape off so I could frame it as nice as it is behind us now. And I had the fucking shirt. And that was, I want to say that was like a couple, that might have been like a week or so before school started. And I fucking wore that. I still have that Ramon shirt. The sleeves are cut off now and it's fucking tattered and haggard and fucked. But I'll never get rid of it because it's the first, it was the first piece of band merchandise that I bought. And I was just like, this is the, because I think I had like a fucking like Europe shirt or something like fucking, (laughs) I love the final countdown, bro. And I I found it. That's so awesome. And I I think I found it at like Salvation Army. I was like, I fucking love the final countdown. I'm going to fucking have a Europe shirt. I think I also had a great white shirt. (laughs) Dude, it's, it's funny you mentioned the same thing. It's like, I almost wore it today. It's like, I still have my first fucking Ramon shirt. Which was? Which was also the original. The original seal. Which was also purchased from fucking Hot Topic freshman year high school. And like I remember getting it. And at this point now it's like it's a little small on me. Um, <laughs> but because at that time it was a fucking bean pole. So it was like I'm, I'm buying a fucking like small or whatever. Um, but dude, same thing. I'm never going to fucking get rid of it. No. And no. not for any reason. And it, it again, it's it's one of those pieces pieces of fucking merchandise where it's like. I'm probably going to do the lame thing and I'm probably going to do something and frame it when I am so I, – I can't fucking fit into it anymore. It's like I'll do something with it because A, it looks weathered and it's naturally fucking weathered, which is awesome. Um, but B, I got a lot of use out of it. It's fucking yeah. – it's serious. It's it's one of my favorite fucking t-shirts I own. Well, I remember uh, – not to – we're going to dive back into Leave Home here in a second because we kind of yeah. talked about those early years. We went way off, but it's still all relevant. It's all relevant. So I remember wearing – that because I still had like a couple Ramon shirts at the time, like that I had from like the so when I, I I started playing you know in hardcore metal bands and like metalcore bands and shit, I remember getting such weird looks because at that time people really didn't. It was still like segregated. Like people like if you were wearing a Ramon shirt, you were a fucking street punk and you had fucking Liberty Spikes and you're punk like <laughs> so 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 it always threw people off. When, like, either, uh, like, the bands that I was in would, like, play little shows or whatever, it'd always throw them off when, like, you know, the fucking, the chubby kid that sings for the fucking metalcore band, like, shows up wearing a fucking Ramon shirt. They're like, that's weird. Like, because everyone was wearing fucking, and nothing against it or anything, but everyone was wearing, like, a Hatebreed shirt or, like, what whatever metalcore, hardcore band was, like, popular at that time. Everyone was wearing that. No one was rolling up with a fucking Ramon shirt on. Granted, most of that shit wouldn't be around if it wasn't for the fucking Ramones. But, um, so yeah, leave home. So we've talked about our first, the first releases we picked up. We talked about the first fucking shirts. Because it's all... It's, it's relevant, dude. It's, it's all relevant. And it's all so nostalgic for us to remember those times when we first fucking found, found it all. I, I For me too, and, and again, this is just an aside, but it's like, it was one of the, it's really, it, it's what got me into music, but it's... In the sense of like wanting to play music. Yeah. Wanting to play music because it was fucking attainable. And like, again, you listen to a lot of this other shit that that we grew up with, whether it was classic rock, whatever. And it's like, yeah, I can't fucking do that. It's like, this might be something that I could do. And that's really, that was another thing that, that got me so obsessed with them. But anyway, so so leave home. Um, also, uh, Mickey... Joey's brother was credited on some of the songs too, which I always thought was interesting for that first release. 
that, that see that's fucking super cool and like going from going from that sound that they established in the self-titled then into like leave home um the first thing that i noticed and and it's actually funny this is something i showed to fucking jake romer back in fucking high school but like so so the first jake romer i haven't seen that kid in fucking I know, right dude he had some fucking like he had some jeffrey Dahmer glasses that he was rocking for a bit like, oh yeah i, I saw like a picture of that yeah hilarious as fuck just super awkward and funny just intentionally awkward but anyway um leave home all right leave home so what second release and i feel like it might be the strongest as far as tommy goes uh i feel like his drumming just like it went even to another level like i don't know it just seemed like i don't know he just tapped into something where i just appreciated the drumming like even more uh granted honestly i didn't individually listen to the first three records until like after i was like a, maybe a year into loving the ramones like uh you know getting the anthology and stuff uh so i didn't absorb those as full records until a little after i was already obsessed with the ramones but like going back like after that like you know talking like early 2000s once i was listening to each i was picking up each individual release here and there uh, and listening to them in their entirety as their own entity, uh, I think this might be. It was always Rocket to Russia for years, but now going back to Leave Home and it being the 40th anniversary of Leave Home, now this year, uh, what is your, where does Leave Home stand for you? Leave Home is probably that's probably my second favorite release, um, with number one being my favorite. So it falls right behind that. Um, it's it's strong not only in the sense i'm glad you mentioned that about tommy too it's like you can tell right away i think he got much more comfortable you know he he was he had a little bit more like um he was the confidence was there and not only having produced their self-titled you know been in the production studio doing it making it what it was establishing themselves having great success people are fucking showing up to see him and stuff but not only that so now it's going into the the follow-up fucking a year later or whatever and it's great. I think every one of those songs, for the most part, it's like obviously, yeah, they snuck a cover in there, California Sun, but it's like they were always just so. They're bands that they they're a band that when they covered a song, they made it one hundred percent their own so much that I forget sometimes how many covers they did because they did did the covers so well and they did them beyond justice. And so, I mean, you look at Do You Want to Dance, like. Same thing. Fucking amazing. I think, honestly, that might be live, hearing all the live versions of that song. Live, I think that might have been the best song that they ever played live. Like, how it sounded. They fucking, and on that last fucking... Oh, dude. On the the We're Out of Here, when Joey's just like, do you fucking want to dance or what? He dedicated that to Didi right after he came out. Oh, my God, I want to fucking leave my mind. It's fucking so good. And what's best about that, too, is... He dedicated to Dee Dee right after he, he came he out forgot, that lackluster fucking... He forgot the lyrics to fucking Love Kills. Love Kills. If that isn't the perfect fucking uh, representation of Dee Dee, though, I love how lovable he always remained because he's just like, it's just who I am. I and fuck, he stood there. Yeah, he just, he just like, stood there on stage. The it's fucking like, man. Awesome. Uh, and also, of course, we got to talk... Uh, we'll talk later once we get into the you know second part of the podcast where we talk about you know the later records and stuff. But the induction speech, like where he's like, I'd like to thank myself, myself, <laughs> and give myself a big pat on the back. Thank you, Didi. You're a wonderful person. Awesome. Oh, it's so, so fucking. So yes, um, 
Favorite track from Leave Home. Favorite track from Leave Home. Um, although it's con- you, you're gonna go with Commando, aren't you? I am gonna go with Commando because I fucked that one up. Talking <laughs> about the no, just explaining. It's like Havana Fair and Commando. It's not that they're the same song, but I, I always lump them so close together. I'm not gonna even try to fucking front. There are some riffs that I'll hear, and I'll like I'll fucking throw them on. Like I'll throw on a mix or whatever, and I'll do that from time to time. Like especially having Apple Music, Apple Plug. Um, uh, I'll fucking just throw a mix together. And, like, I'll hear a song, and I was just like, why the fuck is it playing that one again? Because yeah. the riffs are fucking... But that's kind of, like, the joy of them, too. It's, it, that is a joy. And, and, again, like you had pointed out, it's like we're covering fucking decades worth of music. Uh, it ended up being, what, 26 years or something like that? 21? 20, well, I mean, if you count from, if you count from 76 to, to... Or that's 20... If you count from '74 when they started writing, you're you're talking a 22 year career, yeah. 20 um, 20 years of putting out albums. Yeah. So so yes, it, it again, it, it's tough to it is tough to fucking keep straight sometimes. I apologize. and we weren't born in the '70s, no. so we didn't buy the albums and know the albums like that initially yeah. until later. We were introduced through either picking up one offs like Pleasant Dreams or picking up the big huge compilations like the anthology. Yeah, and. Definitely Commando being the favorite. Um, I, I wasn't always a huge fan of like kind of the more I don't want to say like obviously the DD heavy songs. Where I, I love Carbone Not Glue. I think it's I think it's a fucking catchy ass fucking song. Um, what about yourself? Favorite song. This always throws people off because they don't. I mean, not that it throw. I mean, it throws you off because I don't really talk to the remote. I mean, I'll talk to the remotes about people, but no one is like is in depth. Or talk to people about their remotes. <laughs> Damn, talking about uh, <laughs> Yeah, so these fucking people that I talk about, you guys, all the time. Um, but no, swallow my pride. Really? I fucking, like... Fucking curveball, dude. I just love the, like, just kind of like the swallow my pride, oh, oh yeah. yeah. Uh, it's just, like, the way he, like, the... The phrase, the vocal phrasing, like... Oh, he, yeah. He was just, oh, like, yeah. the way he kind of, like... He just had such a Joey had such a unique way of melody. The way he made a melody just like always blew me away. And I don't even know if it was all Joey or if that was some Didi. I think Didi probably was more of just the writer, and then Joey added the you know the pop sensibility with uh, the melodies. But the mel the vocal melodies just fucking I fucking love it. It's just so fucking like he always had such a distinct style of vocal melody and i feel like he could sing a song in no way that anyone else could oh. even till this day oh a- absolutely and and talk about distinct vocals oh well i didn't pick them out of a lineup like- yeah, yeah i mean 100 percent a signature never sounded like anyone else no one has ever sounded like him uh often you know do what do they say often duplicated never replicated uh 100% like no one has ever sounded like that no one will ever sound like that 100% is own person in a vocal sense oh absolutely and and I think that that definitely the the more that the band came into their own and they became more comfortable and the more they were touring I think they definitely helped to continue to solidify that sound Joey especially um, but the band as a whole and then obviously moving into Rocket to Russia which I think a lot of people that I've talked to throughout my fucking path of like, you know, being obsessed with this band, a lot of people cite this as like their fucking favorite album. 
Yeah, encompassing everything because again, you have there. There's so many fucking tracks on this record at this point. Um, it was what seventy eight when they recorded "It's Alive," correct? It was like yes, the, yes. the the New Year's Eve at yes. Rainbow Theater, yep. in the the UK or whatever. Um, but that that was like at that time. So Rocket Russia was was out or it was coming out. So like you had all these people who were like on this Ramones train. And it's like going into Rock to Russia, it's like that I think for, for a lot of people, like I said, like that's it. That's that's fucking Ramones right there. That's my favorite fucking record. For me, not so much, but I still think it's a fucking it's a solid fucking release. It's probably my number like three. Yeah. From this span of like records. That yeah. So then, you know, obviously I think once they and then, you know, moving to Rocket to Russia, once they put Rocket to Russia out, I feel like that's when they're like they're obviously playing a lot. They they got a huge regional following in New York scene. I know that they were catching waves out in L.A. because when they started playing out there, that like people were like, "Holy fuck!" There's a sound from New York, and they were 100% a New York band and had that New York sound. Um, and then I think once Rocket to Russia came out, that kind of like I think that's what kind of maybe even scared Tommy a bit for him to be like, "Fuck, this is gonna take off. This is." Am I ready for this? Am I ready to fucking go on tour with these guys? So what were some of the things that – because obviously this is the last – Rocket Russia last release with Tommy. So what do you think kind of pushed him – or is it ever – was it ever documented what actually pushed him out? I know initially he didn't have really a huge desire to be in the band. He wanted to be the manager. Um, so did – I wonder if he just uh, saw it as an opportunity to get out and he knew – uh tommy knew mark marky who came in on the next one uh prior um on road to ruin but what did is it was it ever documented what his actual reasonings were for leaving after rocket to russia you know because it was right after i think he left the original artwork for road to ruin had tommy on it yes and they had to redo it so like yep. I, I don't know i don't know what the was pushing him over the edge um, I think you're right by saying like... Oh, you know what? I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, uh, no. Uh, I know he was getting into it with Didi too. I read that, that they, he was getting into was it with Didi. Was it creative differences or like... I think just everything. Obviously, just Didi having that kind of off-the-wall personality. And Tommy was a very... And they have talked about it. well put together. What did he say in fucking oh, episode? He just go a, home and make you dinner. Not just he could. He would go to the store and he would get potatoes. And he would cut the potatoes up and he'd make himself dinner with french fries. And I I'd go do- home and eat some dope and a bag of potato chips or whatever. The, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. dinner or something like so that. So I think he just kind of was envious, maybe, that Tommy was so put together and was just like just like had his shit together like lived on his own like did his own thing didn't depend on anyone it was very independent so i think him and dd kind of just had like a just like a, a never-ending clash, clash. clash. yeah dude. also rocket to russia i think is my favorite ramones i that's, that's another no, i think it's my favorite ramones release ever but it's also um my favorite cover art i think too yeah i just the pink for what for whatever reason the Ramones introduced me to the color pink because to loving the color pink and not like because the Ramones were such a hard edged band that like and obviously and especially on the first three records they look like a fucking motorcycle gang they look like don't fuck with us or we're gonna fucking kill you you prick like uh they just like the fucking like acid wash jeans and the fuck just looked the fucking like pissed off and like all wearing leather jackets and 
obviously the second shirt I ever bought of the Ramones was a Rocket to Russia shirt and it had a pink font on it. And I remember someone once saying something like, oh, why are you wearing pink or something like that? You know how petty kids were. Assholes. Yeah. And, uh, and I was just like thinking like, and I got into a fight. I, I'm, if I remember correctly, I think I got into a fight over the color, the font color on a remote shirt. I got into a fight because someone was trying. That was put out in 1978, caused shockwaves into your life. Yeah, decades record later. that comes out in fucking in 1977 comes out or 20 some odd years later is giving me in fights because someone talked shit about the color pink and I was like fuck fuck you I fucking name Ramones anthology I got it's pink font this shirt has pink font fuck you the Ramones are fucking will kick the shit out of you and I am a fucking diehard defender of the Ramones so fuck you I'm gonna fight you pussy that's funny <laughs> as fuck no in in that I think that was one of the great things too about that album is like for me because I know we were talking about it before a little bit it's like my my favorite my favorite record is self-titled just because for me it was like it was that that's what started it all a it's like they were and i want to say they were at their best but it was you could see the birth of it and i think that for me like that just like immediately captured my attention yeah um but rock to rush being i think in not to go like in order of shit but it's like i think that was probably my uh my, my it's my third favorite and at that point the production it, it had gotten so great um and then moving even past that, you know, they put out their live record, which is also awesome. Yeah. It's Alive is great. Um, but then moving into Road to Ruin, like, for you, was there ever any times that you were like, because I was the same way. Also, I, my favorite song off, yeah. uh, no, no, my favorite song off Rocket to Russia, it was always Sheen as a punk rocker, but I think because, I think it still is Sheen as a punk rocker. But with that said, I think. Just because I love uh, Do You Want to Dance, the live version of it so much, that that one kind of tears back and forth being my favorite, too. It's a Bobby Freeman cover, but I just love that it's just... Whenever I think of that song, I don't think of fucking Bobby Freeman. I don't think of anybody else. I think about the Ramones. But Sheena's a punk rocker is probably it, but I can't I can't uh, understate uh, or overstate enough how awesome uh, Do You Want to Dance is. Well, I think I think you're, you're, you're definitely onto something because... Sheena is definitely it's one of those songs that also in Pet Cemetery. It's one of those songs wait was that the one is that was that the truck driver was yes. to? Okay. Um it, it's one of those songs that like undisputably it, it's it's a rock and roll song but even at that time it was like that's fucking that's that's fucking punk rock like that's what it was. It you know they're not singing about fucking politics. It's like it's catchy fucking rock tunes and that fucking epit i think that epitomized the whole album and it's great um that's that's awesome and and i love what you said too about the covers like about ramon's covers yeah it, they take a form of their own they take a shape of their own and and i love that they continue to play them throughout their career you know mm -hmm. uh, especially like california sun it's like i've heard a couple live recordings of them like in like whatever the late 80s or something and it sounds like shit and I don't know if that's because, like, Dee Dee's just, like, at that point, a fucking, like, straight walking zombie. Yeah. But it, it sounds like garbage and, and still being a fucking cover. I'm still amped to hear it. Yeah. It doesn't fucking matter. It could sound like garbage. I'm still excited. Exactly. So, uh, they have, 
it's alive. Mm-hmm. I which I think at that point they just wanted in '78 they wanted to just get a live record out there because they were such a live band. So they I think whether it was pressure from Sire, Seymour Stein and Sire or just their own doings that just wanting to get a live record out there, they needed to capture that live sound to get it out there to people who maybe haven't checked out the records, but then just get that live those live versions out there so you could see how much fucking energy and how fast and how pissed off that they were playing and how much of a energy they had live because they were 100% a live band. Oh, yeah, and there's a really, really great story that Henry Rollins tells about going to see the Ramones for the first time um, in like this small packed ass fucking club Um, and it's awesome because that's I think how obviously it wasn't being played on a national scale on major radio stations any of their shit um, which is obvious but at the same time it's like going and seeing them live that's really that was a fucking experience and like I said the NYC 1978 which was um, King Biscuit Flower Hour uh, that was my second that was my second Ramones purchase. I went and picked that up. So I got Pleasant Dreams and I picked that up because um, after kind of poking around and like talking to people and all that shit, the more I discovered about them, it's like it came down to the live experience, realistically. You know, they, they, were, they were not a fucking – they were not a studio band. They didn't have the luxury of being like a fucking Beatles where it's like we're going to put out 10 years worth of fucking studio albums. It's like no, no, no. We're going to fucking put out studio albums and then we're going to tour constantly. They – and maybe this isn't i don't know from my understanding i think that they before anything before any other band and you could say what you want there was always bands release an album and tour and tour in support of the album but i think that became such a formula for them that it implemented in all of the music industry and maybe people are like you're what the fuck are you thinking you're giving way too much credit but i've never that is they created that a consistent formula of put a record out tour on that record support that record while writing another record and just they they if they didn't like maybe they didn't start that formula but I feel like they were the most consistent and stuck with that. For 20 years, it was a fucking record every year or year and a half at max two years. And then fucking tour and tour and tour and tour and tour and tour and never fucking stopped for 20 years. And I feel like they were a major proponent of that style. Whereas like, I mean, you do like a Zeppelin, like Zeppelin toured, but Zeppelin also had like, a show on a Monday, a show on a Wednesday, and then a show on a Sunday, and then they did that for, like, months. You know what I mean? The Ramones were, like, one of the first bands that I can find in recent history, and I know there's other bands struggled in here and there and stuff, but as prominent as they were, like, uh, you know, a known band, not popular by any means, not making money uh, by any means. Well, they, they were making money, but, like, not, like, they weren't making Zeppelin they're, money. They're, they're not playing fucking arenas. No, by no stretch. They are the fu- they are one of the best examples of a working class band. And now you think about how legendary and how big and iconic they are. But they didn't really deem that those credits and all that shit until after. You know, it, it's something I, I found this interview. It's funny you mentioned that about working class bands because I did find this DD quote. It was from eighty one, so it's still within this time frame. It's not where we're at yet in our discussion, but um, they were in Toronto, and DD was asked a question. Um, you know, how do you guys do out in the Midwest? Because they were talking, they were just, they're about ready to go out and fucking, you know, Iowa and, yeah. and all that shit. And he goes, he goes, basically they did well because they were the same as them. 
we wore what we had. You know, we're, we're fucking working class. They didn't have seamstress. <laughs> no, they didn't have fucking seven tour buses and all that shit. Um, you know, and they didn't shock anybody. He, he goes, when we go to the Midwest, we don't shock anyone. We're just like them. And that's such a simple fucking statement. But like you're saying, great example of a working class band. And when you think of the Midwest, you think of farmers. It's... I think that's fucking that's an awesome example of of why they appeal to such a ma- mass yeah. fucking audience. Yeah, blue collar, whatever you want to call them, working class America. You know, in the end, that's who they were. Maybe the first band that ever because you talk about people will credit bands like um, like Nirvana and things like that for like they broke the hair metal you know scene where in like the you know that arena rock scene where like it wasn't about like having stage get up and they were just going out there with jeans and a t-shirt and playing honest music I hate to tell you Ramones fucking did it long long before that and always did that oh and and I would say and, and not to downplay like the like the 80s metal and all that stuff not not to downplay that popularity but at the time that the Ramones came out I think they were smashing a far bigger Oh god! A far yeah. bigger fucking scene. And again, I'm not downplaying the popularity of any of that shit in the '80s, but like this was so fucking different. And again, I mean, the '70s were the golden age of concert going for sure. And not to, like you said, not to downplay what like any kind of '80s metal. Obviously, there was more genres that you can count. You know, yeah, power metal, arena metal, hair metal, speed thrash metal. metal, speed metal, like. And all those had their separate, like, things. And obviously, hair metal, like, bands with, like, Poison and Bon Jovi, like, had such a huge following and shit. But you're talking about Zeppelin p- plays somewhere in Chicago. You have people driving down from Madison, Wisconsin. Everyone within Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin, and all those fucking Milwaukee driving down to Chicago to see that everyone, wherever. If they played Chicago, and that was one of, like, two dates in the center of the country everyone it was fucking sold out and people in droves went to concerts in the 70s the 80s it became more segregated so yeah those hair metal bands had huge followings and were filling arenas but at the same time not to the you know if poison play poison those bands would tour a lot too they would which i think you look at bands like and not to fucking talk about hair metal on this episode but uh you look at bands like poison those bands Fucking always, you. I always hear someone like CC Deville or someone always mentioning the Ramones. How much they fucking love the Ramones, and you could see CC Deville, very punk rock in the way he did everything in that band. They influenced so many different genres in more ways than one. That it's and like you said though, it they were tackling a far bigger fucking pond in the seventies than Nirvana was in ninety in the early nineties when they broke. Well, and it's not like like we said, it's not downplaying what Nirvana did and, and their influence, but you know, it was such it was such a fucking it was so much different. And to come from like New York City, to come from like the you know four silk queens essentially being born, but but being birthed essentially out of the fucking Bowery, um, to then do what they did, it's like I think that speaks a lot to who they were and what the appeal was. Um, and then obviously going into like Road to Ruin. Um, now this was I, I want to take it aside talking about this record because um, this was it wasn't my least listened to album, but it was close to it. it I don't want to really? say, I don't want to say it's up there. I don't want to say it's up there with Animal Boy. Not that there's anything wrong with Animal Boy, but I just I don't know what it was. I know it's Mark's first introduction to the band. 
I, I think honestly, I, I want to say it had something to do with with I want to say it was something to do with the the production and and it's not downplaying the production because that was Ed Stasium's first appearance being listed as one of the primary producers along with Tommy, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, and I know that he has done a lot of great work and they've done reissues of, of his mixes and stuff with some of their later um, their later releases. Um, it, it, Did I, I talk to you about Ghost um, having a rip-off shirt of Road to Rune? Where go, you know Ghost, yeah. I was like, yeah. I think we've talked about him before. Yeah. Um, I have a Ramones ripoff because they rip off like Clockwork Orange and they rip off like Judas Priest and stuff. So they have a shirt. I have a shirt uh, that I got for Christmas um, where it's like them standing, you know, uh, Papa in the nameless, uh, the faceless, uh, the nameless schools standing in like the Road to Rune pose. And it's like a Road to Rune ripoff. I'll have to show you it after the podcast. That's that's really cool. And and like I said, you know, you you hear these songs whether it's in compilations, whether you listen to the album, I don't know what it was about this record, but for me, I was just, it, it kind of stepped back a little bit from that original intensity. And and I... Yeah, you had like, uh, uh, Don't Come Close, like, it was kind of like, and Needles and Pens, which was written by great, Sonny Bono. Great fucking song. Yeah. Great fucking song. Um, that, that was, that's probably my favorite track on there needles and pens yeah really it's not a crazy no i love i love that song song. no great song but it's like i said i just think it it took a step back from that intensity and and it did explore i know what you're saying yeah it 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 explored i think you know joey's ability to be able he, he i think he was a little bit more attracted to that like not softer sound, but it, it played to him. I think a little bit. I think more. that was you could tell where they were going with end of the end of the century for sure. Oh, absolutely. And um, so, what what would what, what's your favorite track on here? I think growing up, it was always "She's the One." Like I just love that. Just being like, yeah, I, I I just love that how he wrote like how he wrote love songs with kind of an etiquette that wasn't like cheesy ever. And, and that's that's an upbeat song as well. It's yeah. not it's not ballady. Um, but at the same time, as much as I grew up and that was always my favorite song, it, I think the song that I always like love hearing when I throw this record on is "Don't Come Close." I think it's it's definitely it does stand out. Um, and I think it was really cool how they were able to bring in somebody who was also part of the scene. Um, obviously, Mark being with like Richard Hell and the Voidoids, like. And, and obviously that friendship between Dee Dee and Richard Hell and stuff. Um, but I think that's a really interesting replacement to to take this individual who established a sound and then bring somebody in who not only helped make it better but solid- continued to solidify that style. Yeah. And, and I mean I wonder what that's like for, for somebody like Mark to kind of pick up the reins and be like, okay, go. I think he was – He was in Dust too, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, I think he was uh... – and he said it in uh, you know the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction too. Uh, he said you know he's like I want to thank Tommy Ramone for introducing me and and creating that drum style. Yes. Um, and that is just uh, I think that that's the main thing. He just seemed like he just wanted to make sure that he was doing it justice. He seemed like he always cared about that at least the way he carried himself. Um, so yeah, it, it was it was you could definitely see how it was a precursor to. Um, to end of the century. Oh, absolutely. And and 
not not to belabor the point, but I think that I think end of the century, I think we'll probably have there'll be there's a lot to discuss about this album. Oh, there's so much. And, to- and, and I'm glad that you you mentioned that early on about you know I don't know just so. What were your first impressions when you first listened to End of the Century? First heard it in full. I had always heard because obviously we, at least I found the, you know, found them through the compilation, Uh, you know, fully found them uh, and discovered songs. So everything I heard off it, I loved. With that said, when I listened to it like in full, I was like less than intrigued. But now... It's in my top five favorite albums of theirs, and it's one of my favorite albums. It, it I would put it. <laughs> it's so hard to say. I would put it number two on my albums from seventy six to eighty three. So I I definitely want to go over that list, like as we come to like when we finish up, yeah, like, talking about it, but wh- wait, but before we fully dive into end of the century, we got to talk about rock and roll high school. The okay, movie okay, and obviously okay. the, obviously it wasn't a, a full Ramones release. It was a soundtrack release, um, and as you can see, you know, I showed you earlier my PJ Souls uh, Ramones uh, picture signed by her. So awesome. Um, and obviously, right on the sides of them, a Road to Ruin lunchbox and the Joey Ramone bobblehead. Um, so that was such a cool, uh, a cool idea to have that, and the fact that they kind of got that honor to be that band. And originally, you know who was originally supposed to record that movie, and he do, or record that movie, wow, fucking, um, direct that movie was Joe Dante, who did Gremlins, and he did The Explorers. Um, no shit. Yeah, because he was, he was, uh, he grew up, uh, he developed all, you know, he was working with Roger Corman's company. And uh, it's a, obviously a Corman-funded film, um, so it's funny that, uh, he actually, I guess he's credited for doing a scene and I, I got to look into it a little bit more, but I've read about it a y- years ago and I can't remember which scene it was. It might've even been the car scene. Really? Yeah. Um, but that's such a cool movie and it was so funny to like see them in it and see their like bad, like acting. Cause obviously none of them were actors. Oh my God. Um, but it's such a fucking cool, awesome movie and I can't wait to fucking watch it again because I haven't watched it in a minute. And it's such a, such a, a funny, like hokey fucking movie. And it's so much, obviously there's so much Ramones, like Ramones dumb in it. And they're fucking, you know, it's in the seventies and PJ souls is in it. And Clint Howard's in it. And it's just such a fun, uh, film. And it was cool. And I think that they, I think they really truly believed that they were going to break like with the, you know, they were in a feature film and, and then they're going to record end of the century with Phil Spector. I think everyone involved, in that time frame thought that they were going over the hill at that point they were going to finally you know break into the mainstream for sure well yeah that was that was the big lead up to it that was a jumping off point they're going to break that threshold and it's funny it's funny specifically that you bring that, that you bring up rock and roll high school it's like I, I don't even know why i didn't even think to fucking mention that sooner but like um i have a very specific memory in high school i know you're talking about kind of the segregation and people kind of like would be weird seeing you singing in like, you know, a harder fucking band wearing a Ramon shirt because people were very, they were siphoned off. I'll never forget it. There's this kid in fucking high school. His name is Mike Alvarez. He's never going to fucking listen to this or whatever. He was an all right guy. We got along really well, but he was a couple years older. So there was that kind of like, 
we we were friends, but he always bust my balls about everything because that's just what upperclassmen did. He saw me wearing like my shirt. I was in study hall. I saw him in the hall afterwards. And we were just talking about music and stuff. He listened to, I think he was more into like much like heavier shit. I couldn't even drop names because I don't know what they are, but he would listen to hard shit. And he's like, fucking Ramones aren't punk rock. And he mentioned, he's like, fucking rock and roll high school and shit. Like, and, and I was kind of like, it made me like question, like at that point, it's like, I understand that people are, they were very, they're obsessed with genres. Yeah. Very obsessed with genres, very segregated, very proud about that. And, and I can't remember, I think my comeback was like, well, dude, it's fucking, it's rock and roll music. At its core, whatever fucking stemmed from that, it's fucking rock and roll music. So yeah, they are a fucking punk band, and in punk rock is fucking rock and roll, dude. Yes, it, don't be so upset. The idea of rock and roll is going against the status quo. The idea of rock and roll is listening to shit that your parents will hate, and, and that's the exact yeah. same idea of that punk rock is. Absolutely. So not to not to have an aside about it, but that was one of my. That was a one, that was my experience of having people being like, "The fuck do you mean fucking punk rock?" Because again, at that point, there was two upperclassmen, fucking Kevin Yearden and Richie Brown, who were like, "Fucking street, you know, crusty, fucking yeah. like, yeah, you know, punk rock, bro. you know." They were those people, and they and, had to smell really bad, never wear deodorant, stinky motherfuckers, yeah. you know. Cool. Again, we got along, but there was that like division where it's like to them that th- that's what punk rock will be. You know that fucking anti yeah. flag, all that stuff, which is it's cool, but I, I love I love the root shit. So um, to get back on topic, um, I, I think you're right. That was the setup for them. I think everybody was expecting it, and at that point, it's like bringing in Phil Spector. And I know John said it after the fact, where it's like it didn't do anything. You know, it's great that this guy put out fucking records in the '60s and stuff for for the biggest names in the business. But what have you done lately, kind of thing? You yeah. Know? And there was there was this really cool like quote that I found that DD was talking about having been asked what was it like. This was in '82, so the album just had come out um, or been out for a little bit. And and DD's like, uh, you know, what was it like, you know, recording with Phil Spector? And he goes, uh, he seemed like a man walking his last mile. <laughs> that grim. That that's what he said. And, it's like, and, and, and I did. I did fucking look. So I looked into it. I fucking. I did some research, and and I found. So, um, that was his second to last, or his third to last record that he produced, or that he was credited with being the producer. No he, shit. He did a production for fucking Yoko Ono. Go fucking figure. After end of the century, and then something for this other no name fucking indie, this British indie band. But it's like. I don't want to say that the fucking, like... It, I don't want to say the production fell on its side, but it's like he tried to, like, reinvent their sound by incorporating shit that worked for him at another time. Yeah. With that being said, the production, it's good. Um, but again, it, it's furthering them away from that original. I, yeah, it definitely was. And, uh, you know, obviously the album cover, it's the first one that appears where they appear on it where they're not wearing the leather jackets. They're all wearing, like, a different colored T-shirt or whatever. And I actually, that's the record, because I do love that record. That's the one I got had Marky sign, because the only original Ramones record with Marky on it that I have, the only other one I have is Halfway to Sanity, which Marky wasn't on. Um, but... It's uh, what's your favorite song from End of the Century? So from End of the Century, um, I know before we started, um, we were talking about uh, we were talking about Chinese rock, and like for me, um, I don't know, man. 
I, I really liked um I like Let's Go. I thought that was fun. Yeah. Um but again it's like I, I do like Do You Remember Rock and Roll Radio? And it, that was one of the ones that I listened to where it wasn't rock and roll high school, but it kind of followed that same formula. Yeah. If you like, if that makes any sense yeah. in terms of what it sounded like, because um, again, it's 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 Joey singing about like listening to pop music and like he incorporates that into his vision and yeah. his expression. So I don't know. I like Let's Go. I think that's probably my favorite. You know, because because it is a little bit more upbeat. What about yourself? Can't make it on time. That's a good. That's a good one as well. Again, that goes back to that vocal melody, like when he did like that almost like cry wine thing, like the can't make it on time, like the way, like it's just so like interesting and intriguing and specific to who he was as a vocalist. It's those little in- intricacies about his vocal stylings that I always appreciated, and what kind of really made me love not only him but the Ramones the Ramones as a whole uh it was just for some reason that just I, I just listened to it and it's not even like it's like a, like a mid-tempo song like it's nothing like crazy I just I it's a great song I think it's the best written song on the record well it's funny because you jump from that and then even like Danny says which is kind of depressing yeah about Danny Fields it's like that was a little depressing like of a song to hear and and it's very it's Ramon's ballady. Yeah. Um but it's like I don't know he, hearing that and, and again I think that was one of the things that it's not that I I hated the the album it, but hearing it it was just a, it was a different sound I wasn't used to when I was associating with the Ramones. Um and, and again I did I did find a fucking quote in that same interview that I had read with Didi and um, I know in, in some like end of the century and stuff like that you hear him talk about recording with Phil but this one I think like summarized it like perfectly Johnny was like rock and roll's gotta be spontaneous and done a little faster this is when they were asking about recording with Phil yeah um, and I'm wondering do you think like some of his frustration was because obviously John was always kind of the drill instructor he, he, ch- control do you think being not having as much control not having Tommy there not having a friendly face to kind of like bounce ideas and be like, I- I'm right, right? Do you think that kind of not made him feel like uneasy about it or insecure, but like he didn't have that control to be like, we're going to go and record this song. It's done. I'm not doing 150 fucking takes. Yeah. Do you think that that maybe was part of it? or I think if there was ever going to be a time where they would have broken up, I think John was too hard-headed and like determined to make the Ramones work even if it wasn't going to be as big as it was going to be uh as they wanted it to be I think everyone felt super uneasy and felt like I think they felt like they were going to turn into a corporate rock band but but at the same time they wanted to get over that hill and go to that upper echelon level but at the same time I feel like at the same time, I almost I almost feel like they didn't give a fuck. Uh, but I think I know Joey did. But I almost feel like John uh John was the one that said, "I'm not fucking doing this again." After end of the century was done, he's just like, "I'm not fucking." And they and they didn't. They didn't hire some fucking multi-million dollar fucking record re- producer to do anything. I think John said we'll do this our own way next time and it's going to remain that way because you can see like there's obviously 
Phil Spector is obviously a very dominant personality, and I think he stifled. He they see it as he stifled their ability and their and tried to take the Ramones away from doing what the Ramones have always did prior to that. And I think John's been credited to saying that. Um, but and I keep calling him John like I fucking knew him. But I mean, yeah, it just fucking fuck, yeah. Time, <laughs> shit, yeah. No, no, I did, I did the same. Yeah, milk and cookies. Happy happy holidays. <laughs> um. But th- I feel like, yeah, I feel like they didn't – it was the most successful record like in the UK and I think at the time it was their highest charting in the US getting to like 44. Uh, and it did it did well. Obviously, Phil Spector's name's on it. They get a little more promotion behind them. Um, but yeah, it seemed – and obviously the controversy with uh, him having a gun, you know. Not that, allowing him to leave. Not allowing them to leave. Well, in – and again, it's it's funny because like I, I'm trying to picture, and I, I know they've talked about it at, at great length, but it's like picturing being in that scenario where you're basically in a fucking compound with this with this fucking producer who's abusing substances. Mark, I guess they were saying like Mark was they they Mark was a drinker, and I know Joey became a drinker, or he, he was always well, yeah dabbled, but like that was hardcore fucking drinking with like Phil Spector and and trying to put it, a record together. And it's like, you know, trying to think about what that's like. Yeah. You know, you got these people together and it's, I, I don't know, man. It, th- that whole controversy, I think, plays into the, the lore of this record. And, you know, I also wonder, too, this is another side conversation where it's like, like we had said, Chinese rock. It's like, that was pure. That's fucking about fucking heroin. Yeah. So I'm wondering, and, and I know that there was some, there was a little fucking, there was some friction. I don't know if it was John, but I want to say it was John not wanting to use that song. Because it's blatantly about fucking heroin. I could be wrong about that. But, I mean, he co-wrote it with another fucking junkie. Yeah, fucking exactly. Richard Held. Um, so you look at that lineup of songs, and it's predominantly, I would say, very pop. It's pop heavy. Yeah, definitely. And then you got that song, which... It's a little bit harder. I think that stands out a little bit more in that whole and, line of the You know, that was, you know, we had talked a little bit earlier before we started recording about how John's basis in that uh, roots, blues, rock and roll, that Chuck Berry style guitar playing, where, you know, you hear in like, you do hear in rock and roll uh, radio, and you do hear in uh, Chinese rocks. Obviously, there wasn't, you know, John didn't fully write that song. Right. Um, but, you know, that little. Getting more into that and like Johnny B. Good stylings, you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, actually, I had, I, had a, I had a great conversation. Um, I never for, for, fucking forget this, and it kind of changed when I listened to it. But I'm affected, so I was talking with Mike Tomirod about it, and he's another one I can fucking talk about Ramon shit for hours with him. But he goes, he goes. I remember when I first heard I'm affected. He goes, I thought he was saying I'm a fat kid, and then he fucking played it for me. He was like doing like a little tattoo work or whatever, and I was like. It's like you're a fucking asshole. Now I'm gonna. That's all I'm gonna fucking hear. And, and again, it's still a great song, but it's like I always hear I'm a fat kid now. Like when I fucking <laughs> hear that. But but I think I don't know if it was like you had mentioned. Like that was potentially them becoming like they thought they were going to become a corporate band. Yeah. Um. What do you think? I mean, having kind of recovered from recording with Phil Spector. Um, you got fucking. I'm eating a jelly donut right now, and they put way too much powdered sugar on this fucker. 
which I don't think is something that anybody's ever said in the history of powder jelly donuts. Um, well, when you're doing a remotes podcast and you're trying to, try to take a fucking bite of it and it looks like you just got fucking shot with a fucking... Explodes fucking everywhere. Uh, I look like fucking Phil Spector's fucking mixing board <laughs> with all this fucking white powder on me. You know, it's funny. I, I love I love an end of the century when you've got the fucking, like, you've got the Phil Spectorites like, speaking for him because the motherfucker's in jail or soon to be in jail yeah. at that point. And they're trying to, like, back up, like... You know, Phil's just a fucking visionary man, and he's got this fucking... It's like, all right. Again, not disputing that the record's solid, but, like, it just... That formula was... Like I said, I think with John, it took that fucking control away. And, like, you you didn't have... Like, you hear that fucking story where he's like, the opening riff, the opening fucking riff, if you had to play it fucking 300,000 times or whatever. And it's like... I don't know. And it, he was just probably Phil was probably so Phil Spector is probably so just strung out too that he was just like going in circles and maybe he did, you know, need a jelly donut. What the fuck is that? What is that private pile? Sir, jelly donut, sir. A jelly donut? Sir, yes, sir. So maybe he just needed a jelly donut, he would have chilled the fuck out. But regardless, I I think uh, it's hard to say because he was an eccentric character not even, you know, taking the drugs and what his problems were outside of it. He was an eccentric character regardless. I mean, you could tell by his fucking hairdo. Oh, Jesus. It's <laughs> Christ. Well, and again, it goes back to that uh, clash of personalities. You've got this guy who, again, he was massive in the fucking 60s. He helped he helped record and produce multiple groups. Um, and he's around that all the time. Very artistic. Not that the Ramones are not artistic, but they're a different fucking style of art. It, it's very organic. It's very fucking like John, the, the group going in or John going in and doing fucking three takes and that's it. We're using one of those. And now to go into this other realm of like kind of the stuff, in my opinion, that they were, I don't want to say that they stood against, but like they worked themselves they they did everything up to that point or maybe the first three records where it's like we're going to do a fucking organic rock album we're not going to fucking be we're not Pink Floyd we're not Zeppelin we're not Aerosmith we're not going to do that type of stuff even though they weren't doing that it was that amount of production and even though it was kind of whether it was intentional or unintentional all the time on how they portrayed themselves as a band yeah um I think they I think because I know Joey and Probably Dee Dee kind of always talked about how they wish they would have gotten over that hump and they would have gotten that respect during their career as opposed to after it. But I think John kind of uh, being the person that's just like, it's not who we are. We're not going to be that. We tried it and it is what it is. And now you're going to get fucking, you want to, and then talk about the Ramones getting harder, faster, more pissed off, more darker. I mean that that could be you know also lyrically it could be due to you know Dee Dee obviously delving into uh, addiction and things even more so in the eighties but they went even more further into you know the way that they were going already that I think that was a, a direct uh, you know as you said John Johnny steering I think he steered him right into that and said you know what no we're not fucking playing the corporate rock game. And this is what we're going to be, and we're going to be it to the nth degree. And they were 100% Ramones all the time. Oh, absolutely. And and then, you know, going into Pleasant Dreams, which um, 
when I had when that first purchase I made was Pleasant Dreams um, on the inside sleeve of like the booklet that came with the CD. It had the like alternative art. This is the first Ramones record where they're not on it. Which again, yeah. I don't know if it was that. We just we, we just came out with the end of the century. We got to do something fucking drastic. We just had this guy, so they brought in fucking Graham Goldman or whatever. Um, and again, I, I cite this. I think this is from this time frame. I think this is a severely underrated Ramones record. Um, I agree. I agree. The, the production's great. Um, my favorite, All, All's Quiet on the Eastern Front, is probably my favorite. And I know there, there was other like big shit on there. It's like obviously you want the airwaves. KKK took my baby away. Those are always big standouts. But you fucking listen to All It's Quiet on the Eastern Front. That's a fucking hard-ass song. Oh, yeah. That's core fucking Ramon shit. That That's fucking... That's what John... That, that Again, fucking John. It's like I'm going to go have dinner next week with him <laughs> and shit at fucking Ponderosa or something. But, like, again, that I think that they're going to get... This sets them off to try and be more fucking rootsy with shit. Um, so, yeah. Um, what, what's your take? What's your take on this record? This was another one. I think this is the start of turning into, and maybe it was because of, even though, you know, excuse me, um, even though End of the Century came out in 80, that was still very a 70s feeling record. But, you know, once 81 came around, Pleasant Dreams comes out, I think this was like the, 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 the it were starting to, you know, turn the wheel a different way. Because, you know, we want the airwaves. Uh, and I think, you know, because that's them saying, like, we want fucking, you know, in, in no, like, straight way, like, we were, we're going to fucking, we want the fucking airwaves. We want to be on the fucking radio. Because we're, we're better than fucking half the shit you're playing on the radio. Absolutely. So that was, and we're going to take it anyhow. Like, I fucking love that. Um, you know, and uh, my favorite. That's fav- right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my favorite, probably KKK Took My Baby Away, obviously written by Joey, too. He had a lot of writing uh, credits on this one. I mean, he did She's in Sensation. 9 to 5, S- right? Was also on, too? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, no, that was Joey. Uh, Don't Go, obviously KKK. Uh I mean, Dee Dee did All's Quiet on the Eastern Front. Uh, you sound like you're sick. I think it was Dee Dee too, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, so that's crazy uh, that he, you know, Joey took a more of a lyrical stance. Uh, and I think because he was the most irritated that end of the century didn't put them over the hump, especially after all the hard work that they had been putting in. And he was the most affected by that, I think. Well, yeah, and, and I think I know, well, I think I, basically from his, his te- like him attesting to it, and I think uh, Mark had shed light on it too. But Phil and Joey were really close because Joey identified with that. A lot of the shit that Phil put out, it's like Joey was close to that. That meant a lot to him. Like, and and Phil understood and and tried to utilize his voice even better than it would have been done before, um, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, at the same time, it's like you know going into this next era of like Ramones, it's like. You're you're right. He probably was pissed off. Something I, I did want to ask you about this specifically with uh, we want the airwaves. Yo, how about that music video? How ridiculous is oh, that yeah. fucking music video? I think that who directed that? Do we even? I know? don't even know. It was probably somebody po- like moderately notable at the time, <laughs> but like just and again they didn't have these these bloated ass budgets from fucking you know these major record labels. Yeah, you know they. At this point, they're still on Sire. They're still putting out records. And it's 
again, I, I think for me anyway, I think that that's a severely underrated album. And I'll agree with that because I've not, been. It's not just because it was my first album. It's right, right. Because I, I just listened to well, it so much. Well, you look at like I mean, he also there was also a song Joey wrote, "The Business Is Killing Me." Mm-hmm. Like obviously, like I said, he is like just tortured on this record because of. The kind of, I mean, obviously, it was their biggest record to add up to that point uh, was uh, End of the Century. And I think, you know, in their career-wise, it was their biggest record. It was the one that she charted, and it stayed in the charts for, like, something like 14 or 15 weeks. But he was affected, and he was hurting that this did not take, the Ramones did not go to that next level. Um, and so it's interesting. And then what's really interesting about, before we dive into the last album... Of the you know our talks for uh, subterranean jungle is John getting into a fight and having an actual fucking actual brain surgery, yeah. you know that really, you know it could it have ended the Ramones then you know which was I believe it happened in eighty one or, or early eighty two because that is why that was the first that was the first time that they took like a really extensive break because seventy six. Self-titled seventy-seven, leave home seventy-seven. Uh, later in the year was Rock of the Russia. I, I always, I always associated Rock of the Russia with seventy-eight. But when I when I first had seen that, I was like, "Holy fuck!" Two albums, two fucking awesome albums in that in the same year. So anyway, continue. So so then Road to Rune seventy-eight, seventy-nine. They were doing Rock and Roll High School, the movie, and then and eighty was End of the Century. Eighty was End of the Century. Eighty-one was so they were staying busy every year with something, whether it be a record or the movie. So then, and then you saw the two-year gap between records between. Uh, Pleasant Dreams and Subterranean Jungle. John got into a fight over what, what actually what actually happened. I've read different things, and you know the fucking internet is not really a great source, and I don't think they've ever documented it in any kind of little documentary that they've done on it. But he got into a fight. Yeah. Excuse me. Uh, again, uh, Jelly Donut. Uh, so I'm not sure what it was about. I mean, obviously, because John was so conservative, they're like, oh, it's probably some kind of racial-fueled thing. Like, It's and, not something as well-documented as, like, the fucking Dead Boys, like, flipping over their fucking tour right. van and getting in a, robbing a fucking grocery store or whatever. Right. It's not something well-documented like they, that shit. I think because he was so – he grew up in a military family. He was conservative. They threw accusations towards him all the time. And things got assumed about Johnny Ramone all the time that weren't – necessarily so again you and i didn't know him or or did we we call him john all the time maybe we were having fucking coffee with him when we were fucking six regardless i think a lot of because he was you know especially in that genre of you know the punk rock world where everything's very liberal and you know not conservative and you're going against you know and john was never that way so uh what actually, you know, what the actual issue was, why he got into the fight, but regardless, he ended up in the hospital, had brain surgery, um, and then, you know, they take a little ex- little bit of time before they actually come out with, uh, and there is a picture with him with like half his head shaved. You know this, right? Do not. Oh my God, we gotta we gotta see if we can find it right now. But regardless, he had like uh, he had surgery. Outcomes subterranean jungle. Now, I know we've talked about this one. Let's Right now, let's talk about... It came out in uh, early 83, and I think he got... I, I don't know when Johnny got uh, fucked up. I'm trying to think. 
I can't remember, and I can't find it. Anyway, so album comes out early 83, notably, which I honestly, until like I was a couple years into my Ramonesdom, that I realized that Mark is on the cover. He's in the window. In this, actually, and here's another interesting thing about this. I know we had mentioned it with Road to Ruin. I learned that like essentially, obviously, as we know in terms of like their timeline, Mark was on his way out. I think they had to cancel a couple gigs during this time period because Mark's a fucking drunk. And, like, that pissed Johnny the fuck off. Yeah. So, basically, not only, if you look on the cover, not only are their shirts weirdly kind of, like, Didi's in particular, that was airbrushed. That was post-production picture. Look at that shirt. That's airbrushed the fuck. Really? So, yeah. I never noticed that. Check that out. Um, so, Mark, Mark is in the window there. That is more or less... He's on his way out, and that, so was that intentional? Then, do you think it was intentional? I think it. I think part of it might have been. If it is, that's kind of clever. It's super clever, but who knows? We're we're giving them. This is we're giving everybody a lot of yeah. really like deep artistic credit. Maybe they were. I'm sure. If, I'm sure if we looked into who did the cover art, we could fucking determine. It's not. Uh, it's not going to be some Nat Geo photographer. I right. assume assure you that took that picture, but like. Um, it's probably somebody that, that was singing ahead a little bit, maybe not. Anyway, um, I think Subterranean Jungle was a very interesting fucking album, um, for myself because, uh, I think it's the first time you hear the change in how the drums are mixed. Yeah. Like, going from Pleasant Dreams to Subterranean Jungle, Pleasant Dreams, I think, was produced very well, and I think that, I think that, sub or, um, Pleasant Dreams is produced very well, but I also think Subterranean Jungle was produced well. But if you listen to the drums, it's very indicative of, like, 80s drums. Yeah, definitely. Very, very, like, the snare is very, very, very tight. Almost plastic kind of sounding. Um, but from that album stemmed one of one of my favorite Ramon songs. I fucking love Psychotherapy. That That is just such a great fucking... Which in the video, Richie was drumming on. Correct. Yeah. Which is which is weird because again you see that like depart that that departure of like fucking Mark you know because again they had to cancel gigs and I think that was I think that was around the same time that we heard of the uh, the notorious Elvis Ramon which was uh, fucking what's his nuts Clem Burke Clem Burke from, from Blondie from yeah Blondie. who like could not keep up which I think I find so hilarious actually it's so funny that you. Uh... That you mentioned that because can you look in on this? So there has been uh so this picture, I'm told it was in the Ramones anthology. So I was told, listen, I was told a million times that, uh, it, and everything's credited to that as Dee Dee. But tell me that doesn't look like Clem Burke. Holy shit. Isn't that strange? There, I, I, and as you could see, John's hair, I, I can't find a picture of John's hair right now. But as you could see, his hair was like longer mm-hmm. uh, then, and now it's like shorter because it took that all that time to grow back. And there is a picture, if I find it, I'm going to have to send it to you, where he, he's like got really, really short hair. There is a picture, too, that I, I've seen. There, There is a shot. And actually, a couple of the interviews, are you talking John's hair is really short? Yeah. Like even like this one. This one, like look how short his hair yeah. is there. Well, I know, I know he did. His hair was pretty short for end of the century as well. Yeah, um, it was. And I, there, there's. I, I think I've seen. 
I think I've seen one picture. We've like, broken down our. We've broken this down so much that we're talking about Johnny Ramone's hair right now. <laughs> John, John, we love yeah. your hair. Um, but anyway, but but yeah, so that that was around the same time. You know, you're, they're calling on some of their friends, and and I love that interviewer, the sound, the, the fucking audio clip there of um, Clem Burke being like, "I could not keep up. I couldn't do it." And again, you you because he's fucking playing Heart of Glass, but <laughs> you know, yeah. like motherfucker, try playing Teenage Lobotomy. Hey, we're we're gonna play fifty eight songs in a matter of about fucking forty five minutes. Please keep up, like, um, but just awesome. And and again, um, like I said, Subterranean Jungle. I think for me, production wise, you can really hear that transition into them kind of being absorbed into what the eighties. Kind Definitely, of. and the way they recorded the vocals too, where it almost sounded like they were in a fucking empty Campbell's tomato soup can. Um, uh, did you? So, Psychotherapy is a fucking great song. If I had to say my favorite song, Highest Trails Above is also fucking awesome too. Um, which is on uh, the it's lyrics as on, on his tombstone. It's on yeah. Dee's tombstone. I do love Highest Trails Above. I would. Uh, this is. It's hard. I mean. Probably psychotherapy, but a song that I do love is Outsider. Dude, um, really, really, I, I think that's another one of those songs where it's, I don't want to say it's underappreciated, but it kind of flies under the radar because um, it's not on their one of their more popular records. Um, I think this album kind of got shat on a little bit. Um, if I'm not mis- mistaken, there's two or three covers. It opens with two covers, a little bit of soul, and then I need your love. And then time has come today is also yep. another cover as well. Yep. So I believe to date this is this album in particular has the most covers in it. Yeah. Um. But but going going off of what we were talking about, like um, with tracks, uh, outsider. So when I when I when I finally got to see fucking CJ. Um, up in Burlington, I'm staying at the bar, and next to me is this fucking like this old older dude, clearly older guy, you know, gray hair. He's got a Ramon shirt on, so I'm staying there. I'm looking at the stage, whatever. There's like 23 people there, like in the small room. Yeah. And CJ goes, "This one goes out to my cousin. He came out of the hills to see this show. It's awesome. I love you, brother." And he fucking he did Outsider. That's fucking, which is awesome. So I did you stay- tell me that? No, I, I don't uh, know if I told you. No, that's fucking amazing. So so I'm standing next to his fucking cousin and we're singing it together we're both like waiting on a beer or whatever and we're singing it we're at the very back and i was like i was like dude fucking awesome and and it was it was great because during that show not to fucking talk about cj but like during that show he didn't play any of his own he didn't play any shit i was the asshole i was like play crusher and like he was like yeah we don't fuck i, t- I know i told you about that i felt super yeah, embarrassed because yeah. like yeah i don't play that and i talked to him later about it after the show but um, why doesn't he play any of the shit that he played on his reasoning, and I respect his reasoning. He said, "I want I want others to play the music that I wrote with them. I'm gonna play Ramon's music that I didn't get to be a part." That's of. really fucking cool. Which was I, I I can respect that. I I'll tell you I'm what though I fucking if I go if I get a chance to see him, because uh, I was gl- I'll tell you what when I saw Richie, you he played bastard. he played you. he played such a great set. But I'll tell you right now, how is that peanut butter and jelly donut? This has, like, changed my fucking life. It's good I've shit, right? I've never fucking had this. And I saw it in there. I was like, is that fucking pecan or, like, what is it? No, that one's a good one. 
Yo, game changer right here. Game fucking changer. <laughs> Peanut butter frosting, jelly, j- jelly inside. Um, man, there's been a lot of donut talk. I think that's going to be a regular for the podcast. Is there's going to be coffee and donuts for every podcast? Um, what the fuck were we talking about? Oh yeah, so uh, I would have to. I'd be like, listen, motherfucker. I don't care if you want fucking Clem Burke or whoever the fucking play your fucking your songs. You need to play Strength to Endure or Main Man. It- I, I think, I, and I can again, I can respect that entirely. Uh, that's awesome, though. That's awesome. That's a, such an awesome uh, way to kind of view it. Like, hey, I played in the Ramones. Yeah, these are songs I played on or helped write or whatever. I want to play the shit that I didn't get to play on. Uh, again, always going at it as a fan, as a, a CJ always has. But going back, you know, we'll pedal back out of. We'll talk. We'll, I can't wait to talk. Uh, Richie and CJ, I can't wait to talk there on the you know our part two, which is going to be great. But so yeah, I would probably say uh, Outsider or Highest Trails Above, my favorite track off uh, Subterranean Jungle. I think and and it's really it's cool to hear them leading up to Too Tough to Die because in 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 terms of what year it is and what else is going on musically, um, I think this is the first attempt at them trying to fit in with what else is going on around them. Because by this time, it's like you got to look at some of the other bands that are out there too that are kind of doing the same thing or trying to do the same thing. It's really interesting what else was, you know, historically what was happening in that scene as well. It's like The Clash at this point, it's like obviously they're in a whole other fucking realm. The Clash, you know, with their first album being in 1977, their self-titled shit. Um, Whoops. No. Um, but it's, I don't know, dude. It's... It's all interesting what else was going on at that time. Yeah, and it's uh, like we said, you you know, when when we do talk about part two, we're gonna enter, you know, the next record, which you and I have a huge, we have a deep affinity for, is too tough to die, and you know that was the true like solidification of. Now this is a new era of the Ramones, and. Uh, a lot of it's going to be due to us, you know, it's due to Richie, which we're going to talk about extensively for sure. I'm very excited to get into that era of Ramones because, again, I know we've hinted at it with some of these other records, whether it being like unappreciated or underrated, but I think that that span that he was part of, um, it does get shat on by a lot of the, the more old school, like punker dudes, like, um, or, or old school people because, again, it's, well, it's it's very fast and heavy. It's not that original shit. And and again, I think it's just totally underrated because you know you got those people. Whether it's people who are trying to start cover bands, it's like we're not playing anything off Too Tough to Die. We're not playing anything off Halfway to Sanity. It's like, what the fuck do you mean you're not playing anything off there? Like that's, those are there's so many. I I can't wait to dive into that. But if you had to rate top five, five to one albums. We'll we'll do songs first. We'll do songs first. All right. Um, I'll go. I'll go five to one. Uh, with one being like one being my favorite. Um, five psychotherapy. Uh, four today your love tomorrow the world. Uh, three Judy's punk. Uh, two Rockaway Beach, and then one uh, I think being Commando. Interesting. What about yourself? It's so hard to fucking put a list together 
especially when you, I mean, this makes it a little easier because we're only covering 76 to 83. So it's it, it's a little easier, but at the same time, it could change every hour. Oh, absolutely. It could 100% change every hour. There's no set, like, for anything. I mean, it's just, they put out so many fucking great songs that it's just so hard. So if I had to do it, I guess I would go... Fuck. Yo, it's not. Five. Five. KKK took my baby away. Four. Can't make it on time. Nice. Three. Three probably. It's so fucking hard. Probably swallow my pride. And then 53rd and 3rd, number one, Sheena's Punk Cracker. Nice. And, and I love how you you mentioned that a couple times where it's like favorites change per hour, per fucking day, per year, whatever. Because even this list, like when you, you know, you're te- texting me last night about it, it's like it's not fucking easy. And even in this time frame, it makes it a little easier. But – Again, that that shifts all the time because it's like you know I'll go through. You discover, you rediscover a song that you're like I always like this one, but now for whatever reason it's resonating more, or it's just it. I just appreciated something now that I didn't appreciate, you know, growing up or or what have you. It's just it's ever changing, it's ever evolving. In as years go by, this is the only band that I just find more stuff out. I find I listen to something new about it. Uh, I hear or listen to an interview where I learn something new. I gain a better appreciation for an album. I gain a better appreciation for a song if I get into like Dee Dee's mindset that he was in when he wrote it, or when you even just think like kind of layers deep on like uh, on Pleasant Dreams and you're like you're like shit. They were so fu-. like Joey was so fucking like tore up that they didn't fucking make it to this, but they fucking kept at it and they fucking John said we're fucking. We're, we're still going. We're not going to stop just because we hit a fucking bump and we didn't get what we wanted. And, you know, we're going to release a couple albums and we're going to keep going. We're going to just keep going for fucking another 26 years. So I think... Or I, 26 years? Wait. 22. 20, 20, 20, 20, well, 20, 20, 20 years of recording 20... Uh, 16... Okay, I meant 16 that, years at that point after end of the century. Um, so... For you, what were your top five albums, five to one? For this era. For this era, which just as – for me, I think this list was a little easier to put together than the actual like – or from the songs. I think I I was able to kind of – in my head and then I I wrote it down just so I had like a couple notes just to kind of keep things straight because there's so much fucking going on. Yeah. Um, For you, what was – I guess, I mean, if we're doing a top five, it'll leave off two, but I'll rank those two as okay. the, you know, five, six and seven or whatever. Okay. So if I had to rank them, I'd go Rocket to Russia, one. End of the Century, two. Uh, leave Home, three. Uh, self-titled, four. Uh, Road to Rune, five. And then... Um, Pleasant Dream 6, Subterranean Jungle 7. Okay. What do you got? So for me, um, I'll just do – we'll do all of them kind of like you said. Yeah. Um, 
I think seven, I would have to go seven. I would have to do, um, I'd have to do subterranean jungle. Um, six, I would do, um, end of the century. Um, five, I would probably go leave home. Um, four, rocket to Russia. The fuck? Oh, I totally fucking forgot Road to Ruin. Jesus Christ. I'm not looking <laughs> at them. Um, I'll just do I'll just do five. I'll do the top five. Okay. It'll make it easier because I'm actually looking at it. I'm like, dude, I like I, I'm so bad at math because I'm a fucking product of like fucking shit and goes cheating. Yeah, you ain't math. shit and I ain't far I, off, I, man. I'm about to cancel. All I had to do was add two fucking albums and it's like I'm like bumping up numbers. I'm like, okay, dude, I'm fucking <laughs> regardless. Um, so five, I got to go – Five if if I'm doing just top five subterranean jungle, um, I gotta go leave home, rocket the Russia, um, pleasant dreams self titled, with number one being self titled. Yeah, um, working backwards. And that's funny that pleasant dreams is your number two. And, and I didn't have and, any pleasant dreams song on my top five list, but it's like just again. Those well, that's songs. it's funny because. End of the century. I feel like my end of the century is your pleasant dreams. You know, one that you know we either found or grew to love or whatever. But it's funny that those are kind of like uh, pleasant dreams was my six, and end of the century was your six. Like it's yeah. funny how that kind of swoop swapped. Well, it's it, and again, it plays to to what how, how we listen to to albums exactly how, how you discovered it and how we discovered it and how we you know what the ramones mean to us at that time and all that shit um but yeah dude holy fuck this has been a goddamn podcast it, well the next one's gonna be even longer because on the next podcast the ramones part two we are going to have to cover too tough to die 84 animal boy 86 halfway to sanity 87 brain drain 89 mondo bizarro 92 acid eaters 93 adios amigos 95 and we kind of obviously got to cover like we're out of here the you know, the last show that was recorded uh you know if we're gonna keep it all in one podcast which we certainly can we also got to talk about you know the deaths of all the ramones you need to talk about the hall of fame induction um and we i think it's also worth noting too that show that they did um the benefit essentially for johnny yeah yeah um, i think that that's something in itself just listening to the i mean artist. to see kind of the effect that it's had and it's it's unfortunate that they they had to die to get the respect that they deserved but you know getting joey ramone place in New York City, having Joey's birthday party every year, having the benefit and the friggin' the tribute to John, uh, you know, uh, and and just uh, it's strange that it took that long, and it's so like it makes me mad that Joey died before he could see him get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because I feel like and Tommy said it in the induction he goes it meant a lot to he goes this meant a lot to all of us but it would have meant the most to joey yeah it would have meant the world to joey or whatever um yeah 100 percent right i'm super fucking excited for for part two because this has been a goddamn roller coaster ride but like i i just based on our conversations historically i think this second part is gonna be it, it's something we, that we might hold. have to carve out yeah, at the bare minimum, two hours. Absolutely, and there's got to be several jelly donuts and fucking peanut butter donut thing. and a peanut butter and jelly donut for sure. Now, I guess yeah. So there's a lot to cover on the next one. Uh, so this has obviously been a music podcast, and 
yeah, a music episode of the podcast, so there's always going to be movie and music talk, and it's just all going to be intertwined. And if you've uh, if you recognize this man's voice, he was also on the Stephen King Part One uh, episode. What'd you think of that episode? Did you enjoy? Did you enjoy? Uh, you know, kind of talking about King and kind of guffing up about uh, King a bit. You know, because obviously we our music we both were when we met each other. We were young teenage musicians. So all of our – we've talked about movies plenty, but all of our – all of our conversations have always revolved around music, a lot of the Ramones obviously. But uh, – and you have a podcast you are uh, diving into and uh, launching soon. Tell, tell, uh, tell the listeners a little bit about that. Uh, it, essentially what we're doing um, – and I want to thank you again. Stephen King uh, part one was amazing. Yeah, I, it was I, a lot of fun. I had a great time. I, I want to thank you again for allowing me to, to converse with you over the course of an hour. Um, I really liked though, and I want to say is um, I loved part two. I think the dynamic of having all you guys together was fucking hilarious. <laughs> it was awesome. It's I a crew. It's a crew, man. It, it was awesome. Um, but I had a great time. And um, yeah, we, uh, my fiance and I, we're going to be doing, uh, it's called uh, Capital City Smiths. Um, we're going to be on SoundCloud, Apple Music, all that stuff, or iTunes, whatever. Um, but we're going to have, uh, we're going to have Jesse HS. We're going to bring in some other people, specifically uh, the podcast October Built. Um, essentially, we're going to be watching uh, horror movies throughout October, like we traditionally do. Which is a great concept that no one's tackled yet, and I'm surprised, and I'm really fucking pumped we're, we're excited and so you're gonna be on there a couple times maybe fuck yeah whenever want. whenever you want me on i'm right. on um but essentially what we're gonna do is we're gonna watch we're gonna do a movie a night we're gonna do, try and do a podcast a day with some exception I think we're gonna we're shooting for 27 so 27 out of 31 ain't bad um but yeah we're gonna be reviewing uh reviewing movies talking about them getting some people that are, are well versed and all this shit and uh just have a lot of fun with it. i think that's that's the main thing so we're super pumped um and we're obviously super amped that you're going to be fucking joining us with fuck yeah there's going to be a lot of great conversations had over the course of these films for sure hell yeah and and obviously coming up uh with with part two and and whatever goes from there i think uh i think our work carved out for us man yeah there's definitely a lot to get into and we are this is the last day of september tomorrow is october 1st bring on fucking halloween man i'm so ready for october fuck yes now one last thing before you go, and this is obviously a Ramones episode and everything. What's your opinion on the Misfit Reunion show? Since October's tomorrow, it's Halloween, tis the season, and I know you and I have fucking talked forever about doing a Misfit set, too. It never fucking ever came to fruition, but uh, not due to us, due to everybody else's inability to get their shit together. But uh, <laughs> regardless, regardless, what is your... Uh, opinion on uh you know danzig you know coming to terms with jerry and they obviously played last year um a couple times and they're playing uh vegas uh in december and then uh in la a couple days later at the end of december what's your kind of take on that i think all right so i i guess my hope is that it didn't purely come down to money although it might have in terms yeah. of in terms of we know, and I know we've we've talked about this a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure that that was part of it. We know that as a fucking original lineup, or as as close as going to get to original lineup with us together, namely fucking getting fucking Jerry and and um, having uh, Glenn Danzig together in the same fucking room on the same stage, um, that draws a lot of fucking water. You know, that's yeah. going to bring a lot. I think it's pretty interesting. I would love to fucking see it. 
I know I'm not going to be able to fucking see it. Yeah. Um, but having seen the fucking Jerry Fitz and, and actually going to see the Misfits, we saw them together. Yeah. Um, that was awesome, dude. I'm always going to love their music. It's... But I will say, seeing Michael Graves was... I don't want to say it was better than seeing fucking Jerry Only in the Misfits. His iteration of the Misfits was fucking Dez from Black Flag and shit. But Michael Graves was fucking unreal dude that's that what so that's cool. where you and i can agree as well i love graves era misfits and don't get me wrong and this i'm in a fucking minority here because i love danzig solo more than misfits really i more don't get more me than, more than his era with the yes okay yes and don't get me wrong the misfits are my fucking it's my fucking credo you know halloween 20 eyes bullet those fucking songs that is my fucking my mission statement in life you know, I'm a fucking horror. You're a fiend I, for life, man. A fiend of horror. I'm a fiend of all the imagery. I'm a fiend of music. So obviously, when that was melded all into one, it was the fucking. It was a, a match made in, in fucking heaven, obviously, or hell. Uh, um, but regardless, I'm in a minority because I'm a bigger Danzig solo fan than I am a Misfits fan. And not to say that I don't love the Misfits. Obviously, they're the fucking Misfits. I love the Misfits. But I also love all eras of the Misfits. I also love, love, love Graves era Misfits. Not more than Danzig era Misfits, but I love Graves era Misfits. And people can't, some die hard, try hard, whatever you want to call them, won't give, the same way they won't give 80s and 90s Ramones credit, they won't give Graves credit. I have Graves lyrics tattooed on my fucking arm. Obviously, I'm a huge Graves fan and Graves era fan. I love it. And uh, I think it's, I'm the same way. We saw the Jerry Fitz. We saw Jerry's version of the Misfits with Dez and, and Robo. Robo yes. was playing at yes. that time when we yeah. saw him. And then we saw him, obviously, without Robo. I can't remember who was even drumming at that point. I don't remember who we had. Some scabber. <laughs> <laughs> but regardless, and I saw Danzig, and I saw Danzig play and during that show he brought doyle well, out and yeah. they did a misfit set of like seven misfit songs so so, badass, so, so badass. i'm in the minority where like it's not gonna break my heart if i don't see it but it would be awesome to see obviously and i love that danzig doesn't take himself seriously anymore he's kind of broken that facade of you know hey he's fucking smiling and laughing and chuckling and and fucking gussying it up with fucking doyle and jerry on stage he doesn't look pissed at all like I saw a video of him, like, he's on a solo tour right now, and, and he was, like, fucking with the security guard, like, his security guard with uh, Steve Zig, their bass player, and, like, just, like, fucking putting him in, like, an arm bar or something, just, like, fucking laughing, and he seems like he's really enjoying, like, the twilight of his career. So I just kind of love that. I kind of wanted to touch on that a little bit because, again, it's all relative. Like, the Misfits, obviously, were a product of the 70s and, you know, going into the early 80s. And that was kind of what we were talking about. So and I know we're both uh, Misfits and Danzig fans. So we had kind of I had to touch on that, oh, especially with October being tomorrow. Absolutely. It's more than appropriate. Well, you can find us on SoundCloud, Heart God Media. Uh, you can find us on iTunes. Uh Search Heart Guide Media or Heart Guide Media Podcast. We are on Instagram at Heart Guide Media. We are on Twitter at Heart Guide Media. Uh, tweet us, follow us, uh, go on. When I say us, I mean me and whoever I have on the show because it's all fucking. This is a big conglomerate of fucking of all of us fuckheads that just have so much fun talking about movies and music and and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. The Ramones Part Two is going to be coming soon. I think we got to do this in person again if we do the second one too. Because phone, I, I I feel like for this you need to be in person. This is going to be 
I'll be back in October um, and we'll do part two in person because phoning it in, uh, like literally on the telephone, it's great, but like this is way better. Oh. Plus fucking donuts together. Yeah, donuts coffee. and coffee. Fuck yeah, dude. Uh, so, yeah, find us on those. Rate and review on iTunes. Five-star review preferred. Uh, unless you don't like it and you give us a one-star. But review it or rate it anyway. And it, we'll fucking... As long as you listen, I don't give a fuck if you leave a one-star rating. Just rate it. Um, but, yeah, just get the word out on the podcast. Like I said, I'm not really doing anything to fucking... I'm not going to pay to get fake followers. I'm not going to fucking do whatever, you know, Bobby iPad or, wants me to do to get any kind of fucking coverage or get into the fucking most notable. <laughs> like, so it's not, it's not going to happen. So get it out. Uh, get it in. Uh, what have you. But this is Jesse AHS. This is the Heart Guide Media Podcast. And thanks for tuning in. It's tune and tune to tune and in. Sorry, I'm not gonna fucking edit either, and I'll fucking drag this out as long as I need to. This is very punk rock, and it's it is what it is. It's the Hard Guide Media Podcast. I'm Jesse HS. Thanks for stopping by.